Hi, welcome to Sweetman Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Simon Sweetman, and thanks as always to Tea Leaf Tea and Yeasty Boys. Uh, this is a conversation with Anna Dean. She is a, well, she's a, a, a Wellington figure, I reckon. She is a person who's lived in Wellington for the last 20 years and has been involved in uh, PR and marketing and magazines and music venues. Um, in the arts, she's worked for the uh, arts festival. She has. I, I, I was trying to work out how I know Anna. She's just someone I know. I think I first met her pretty much 20 years ago. We were both involved uh, in a magazine called Staple, um, and I think that's probably where I first met her. Um, but she was heavily involved in the Bar Mighty Mighty, and she's been a person who organises parties and functions. She's worked for. Um, as part of the film industry, uh, running social media for successful New Zealand movies and running ad, ad and marketing campaigns for, for big films like What We Do in the Shadows. And she is one half of a creative agency called Double Denim. They also run a thing called the Ace Lady Network. Uh, and it's just a force, I reckon. She's just one of those people that uh, is interesting to talk to, knows a lot, knows a lot of people, and has been involved in some interesting stuff and has seen a lot of changes in the way we operate. So again, particularly with digital marketing and online uh, presence, social media, how to do this, what you should and shouldn't do and say, um, how to navigate in this strange world uh, so I'd always wanted to have a chat with with Anna and um, and because we bump into each other we we do know each other but we don't know each other super well this is the longest conversation we have ever had and and the most in-depth conversation and I I thoroughly enjoyed this we talk about all of the things I've mentioned um, the the various roles that she's fulfilled and jobs she's had and uh, and we talk a lot about uh, podcasts and we talk a lot about media and journalism and social media and uh, a little bit of stuff we talk about off tape was the uh, and it comes into play I'm just mentioning this we talked quite a bit about Brett Easton Ellis and and his podcast and how he can be a real pain in the ass but he also has some quite good content so when he comes up again in the podcast you'll you'll know why that is because we were talking about that before we hit record Uh, I hope you enjoy this conversation this is me talking with Anna Dean you're one of those people I, I was thinking about this I don't know how I know you yeah. I just know you. Like, and I imagine, I feel like you must be like that with most of Wellington now. But <laughs> but I don't know when we would have first met, but it was a while ago. I, I mean, we don't know each other super well or anything, mm. but we I've known you for a long time. Yeah, I was thinking about it. The first time I remembered hearing who you were was when I met Cass and you did mm. Purple Prose. Or, no, what was it called? Purple, some oh. little publication. It was like a zine. Yeah, what was it? it Purple it, No, it was, it was going to be called that. And I think it Purple was called, Wizard or something. Yeah, no, yeah. no. I think it was called W1 or... Okay, yeah. It was something to do with a wizard. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. It was going to be called Wizard. Yes, Wizard. That's yeah, right. Yeah, I don't yeah, know why yeah. I had purple in my brain. Yeah, no, I think that might have been the... Uh, the actual colour of okay. it or something, but <laughs> yeah, 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 that's right, yeah, yeah, and so, and then it would have been the like manual staple yes, kind yes. of stuff. Yeah, that era, because yeah, yeah. I first moved up here, um, it was around 2000, so it's literally mm, 20 years ago. Mm, mm. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, and I've been here since 95. Right. Um, so where, where did you grow up in this world? I, I'm from Nelson. Right, yeah, yeah, and what was happening there? Born and bred, um, raised by two black sheep quite extreme hippies yeah and um my dad's actually english and my mother is from north canterbury farming family and had a very fantastic time growing up in nelson uh nelson college for girls 
lots of karate, mm. huge karate family. My parents are fifth down black belts mm. and um, Zen Buddhists, practicing Zen Buddhists. So I actually wow. grew up on a retreat center when I was really, really small. And that was actually kind of when I first met Cass, yeah. she was hardcore into her Buddhism. So right. that, yeah, was yeah. A, that was a little bit of a connection. But I completely rejected that for yeah. 20 years. It was a bit like being brought up Catholic. You're like a peripheral character in a Brett Easton Ellis novel or something. <laughs> Amazing. Have you read that his most recent one, the the white man? Yes. Oh my it's god. So bad, isn't it? Well, I actually parts of that. I actually was like, shit. I can. I totally see mm. his his criticism of call out culture and things like that. For I actually sure. really enjoyed parts of it. I used to listen to his podcast before it went behind oh, a, a, yeah. a pay. Well, not just yeah. because of that, but I, mm. I drifted off before. But I understand mm. now it's a pay thing. But mm. but. The book very much was like his podcast, yes. e- equal parts, yes. absolutely infuriating, and then like a, a, an insight that I can, but I don't know, it's a bit like saying, you know, Jordan Peterson's got a nugget of truth or something, it starts to feel a bit like, no, I'm not, I'm not saying he has, you, you see, see how I tested, like if you throw something like that out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I still feel okay telling people I'm a big fan of Woody Allen because what I mean is I'm a big mm, fan of his films. Of course, of and course. I, I feel, and I'll take that challenge. Yeah. Um, but I would never go, oh, you know, have you listened to Joe Rogan lately? Or, uh, you know, <laughs> anything like that. But it's it's funny, I feel like that about Brett Easton Ellis now. He's but turned into that. He has, but with that podcast, because I used to listen to that podcast mm. too, I actually mm. really enjoyed it, but it would be like these eight-minute, nine-minute questions oh, yeah, yeah. that were kind of rants. Mm. And, but really important questions about the death of American film, death of Hollywood, death of the American novel, mm, mm. The and someone, like a true artist, actually grappling with web series. And, mm. you know, there's some fascinating interviews. I, I actually go back to that back catalogue yeah. every now and again, because I actually there was a couple of really really good ones but yeah. I, I I also had this problem and I might sound like a bit of a hypocrite here but I mean he's kind of spent the best part of 20 years in a kind of purgatory that he's chosen where he basically mm. just writes spec scripts and stuff and mm. and tidies up other people's work and and knows that it's going to sit in development hell but he gets his quarter of a million dollars a year or whatever plus he's obviously got his residuals and that's his lifestyle and to me that's and there he is criticizing people for not pushing the envelope and not being creative and it's like you've chosen to sit in this realm where you know you're going to get paid and you don't care if the thing gets made but then you criticize other people for making inferior product like i i found that really Mm. and i know that as i say it's going to be a bit hypocritical critical because all I've ever done is criticize people for not doing decent work and and not putting it out myself but you know it would be one read of it but that that really sat with me and I was like I don't I don't know interesting but also then he would you know with living his life nice life with his millennial boyfriend yeah 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 and just that kind of um that tension is super interesting yeah totally but didn't you feel like he was using that for like kind of woke credits Slightly. A little bit, too. But also this massive generation divide, mm, which mm. I feel in my own life. And here he was kind of playing that out in podcast form, mm. just that, which which I do find interesting. Did you like his books as early? Like, I did, I did. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. actually really did. But then also there was that shockingly terrible one about the possessed parrot doll thing. I can't even remember what that was, but it was his last. Oh, yeah, before, yeah. That, before, um, 
the sequel to yeah yeah, yeah. yeah which was it's another Elvis Costello song title yeah Imperial kind of Bedroom unreadable I can't it's remember unreadable. what it's called um this the like, last couple were really bad yeah, yeah they were they were and um but he said that he was just completely um no one understood what he was trying to do and that actually that was a work of satire and it was kind of something mm. to do with American politics. Easy, easy to say after everyone said it's no good though. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but but no, I don't know, anyway. How yeah, do we yeah. get on to him? Because, because your upbringing <laughs> could have been yeah. uh, used as a, as well, a vague subplot oh, in one of his uh, books. Well, it's interesting because my mum, like my mum has quite an interesting story. She, she was at like boarding school from 8 to 18 mm. and she came out, moved to Nelson and went a bit off the rails and um, was part of Anandamaga, which is this kind of, not a cult, but they're a bit like Hare Krishnas, so mm. quite hardcore. And she was going to get married to a man she'd never met, who was a taxi driver in Melbourne. And um, <laughs> <laughs> and her parents, because you couldn't actually get married in, uh, without your parental permission if you were under 20, so mm. they actually blocked that. Wow. Um, and then she ended up uh, getting pregnant with my biological father, um, and then my father came along when I was three. So um, yeah, I was very wow. very lucky. But he was someone who was in that in that scene. It was pretty loose in Nelson back in those days. Mm, I mean, right. they had the first espresso machine, and yeah. first cafe. They always <laughs> claim that. Yeah, yeah. And so <laughs> yeah. you you got out of Nelson right when it started going full designer hippie. I oh suppose. yeah, there's well, I mean that's really changed a lot um, since the Christchurch earthquake. Mm. Like now all the soft furnishing shops the soft furnishing shops are just ridiculous because all the wealthy people from Christchurch actually moved up on mass when they could get out but no, I was there for that, you know, kind of gathering. Yeah, era. yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like, yeah. and then gone. Like, so <laughs> yeah, just as it gone. was morphing into this kind of like, yeah, the start of the designer hippie thing. Yeah, yeah, well, which which was great. I mean, I was going to like raves up the Maitai River when I was like fifteen, and the yeah. first the first in train that I went to, I was sixteen, mm. um, and was like really into that scene. And Grant Smithies and and Josie Cashmail did mm. such a huge job for mm. us at that era. And it was all very independent. But I've actually had a long association with Wellington because my mum used to organise these kids' camps at this retreat centre. And I actually met Beth and Nell Thomas, mm. um, Nell from Orchestra of mm. Spheres, because they were on this kids' camp that my um, parent, my mum had organised. And I was six and Beth was seven. And we became pen pals. Mm. And every school holidays, I would come up to wow, Wellington. Right. Or she would come down to Nelson. And we literally did that all through you know, my, my whole up yeah. to high school. And so her parents, their parents are Jennifer Shannon, the mm. dance critic, mm. and Alan Thomas, who's now passed away, but he was the yeah. ethnomusicologist yeah, yeah, up yeah. at Vic. Yeah. So managed to get this really interesting insight in my school holidays into that Wellington cultural, cultural life yeah, yeah. and dragged around the Wellington I was library. Gonna, and yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, so what brought you to Wellington? But kind of that. Probably. Um, I And the ferry. Yeah, the ferry. Oh my god, I hate that ferry. I've done that so many times in my life. Um, I actually, yeah, I mean, because I was coming up here when I was mm. a teenager and it was all Tom Hunt. I mm. watched Tom Hunt get his tongue pierced by someone. You know, like it was <laughs> hilarious, that whole that whole crowd kind of time in um, winter. You know, mm-hmm. um, and that gang, they were all Wellington mm. High people. So mm. that was my impression of, of Wellington, really. But I actually ended up going to uni at Otago. 
I actually went on an exchange. I did AFS when I was 16 or 15. Went to Japan for a year and had a really hard hard time. Really didn't enjoy being a Japanese mm. teenage girl. Mm. And came back a bit broken from that. Um, and ended up going... I missed my sixth form year. And then went down to uni at Otago. And did law. Because I didn't know mm. what else to do. Mm. And absolutely hated that it was like word maths mm. and thought I was going to fail was in a was in a, um, a PE student um, floor at Unicol by mistake like some computer <laughs> glitch <laughs> so it was like a living hell yeah. for me yeah. people were throwing balls my my door was at the end of the corridor and there was just like rugby balls cricket balls you know endlessly smacking yeah. I just hated it so much um, thought I was going to fail law and um, applied for broadcasting school so I went to broadcasting school with like Clark Gayford um, Corin Dan you mm. know Sonia Wilson all these all these people who are in the news now um, working in, in news media and um, yeah ended up leaving Otago, uh, leaving Otago and went to Christchurch to study there got heavily involved with art school people at that time and then got an internship back down in Dunedin um, working as a TV reporter and being a stringer for three mm. and um, went out with my cameraman you know like all those kind of cliches <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but kind of kicking and screaming as a 21 year old in Otago because all the students had left you know by that mm. age so what was I doing watching, there watching any movie that was about journalism and TV reporters at all and seeing yourself in the yeah well also <laughs> in those newsrooms you know there'd be these really bitchy burnt yeah, out 40 yeah. year old women who were like get out get mm. out don't do this um but also working in tv really getting a clear sense that it was basically like um find an opinionated person and then find someone else with the opposite opinion and literally got a real insight into that kind of the the competition between the two networks you know mm. being led into houses getting the shots flushing the key down the toilet so that the, the opposition couldn't get the same shots rather mm. than returning the key to the police you know like it was nasty mm. nasty mm. stuff dirty 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 dirty, yeah. dirty stuff but yeah. really interesting because i got to yeah. cover like the whole of that bottom of the south island go to queenstown every now and again floods down south would go down to um invercargill a bit and yeah, but really, it just it wasn't for me. It really mm. wasn't for me, and um, was in a relationship with this cameraman, and who was much older than me. Who then was like, "Do you want to stay here and get married?" And I left on a bus and moved to Wellington <laughs> as an escape. <laughs> yeah, well, we'd actually just recorded. We'd just made a doco about being at the gathering that mm. uh, Wallace Chapman. And I were kind of starring in. We ended up finding some Canadians to take to the gathering, but it was the year two thousand one where mm. it just rained, mm. so it was an absolutely atrocious disaster. Got a cameraman from Invercargill TV. He turned up and he took all his acid when he just arrived, mm. so he was off on his own absolute crazy adventure. We basically didn't film anything, and it, uh, Wallace got left behind uh, in Nelson, and it was just like. <laughs> An absolute disaster. Mm, mm. And um, I'd also broken up with the art school boyfriend that I had in Christchurch. So kind of tail between my legs, um, moved up to Wellington in the summer of 2000. Yeah. To do? 
Two, what? well, I was like, shit, I don't want to be a journalist. I ended up working at Article mm. on Wakefield Street, so mm. the lovely Edge Gordon. And that was actually my intro to Wellington. Um, got this fantastic flat in Oriental Bay that I was paying like $80 a week for <laughs> with a really good bunch of characters, um, lots of um, architecture school students. And um, worked an article and basically got my head around kind of who was who, I guess, and was always asking people what they did for work, how did they mm. all fit in, what was the landscape. Lots of good conversations and got a job at CNZ. Yeah, so worked at Creative New Zealand. Mm. And that was where I kind of learnt how to be, um, how to do PR and comms actually. It was the first year at Venice. Yeah. And, um, you know, first kind of experience for me of being in a government department and um, met a guy called Luke Wood, you know, uh, the musician and academic from down south. And we started going out and that was the kind of heyday of Neil Partington mm. iWork studio. And before then I've missed out the whole manual spoke yeah, yeah. crowd. Yeah. yeah, yeah, which was in Staple. And Staple. So they were... And what was the story there? They started off with um, manual. Yes, yeah, they started was, off with... Or did Spoke come first? Or maybe first? Spoke came first. Spoke came first, but So I basically think. these were like skateboard and, and bike magazines. Yeah, yeah. But they had like... Um, you know, they covered the whole culture, so they had, like, a lifestyle element to them. Yeah, so. and I guess because I'd been working in retail and had a good sense of the whole kind of hospo scene mm. and then a bit of music stuff just got quite embedded in that landscape and then mm. was working at Creative New Zealand, so knew all the artists. Mm. Um, it was actually just a good grounding here. But then I actually ended up moving to Littleton. Ah. Yeah, so um, my boyfriend at the time, Luke, got a job as the head of um, design at Canterbury mm. down there, and we were meant to move there for a year while someone got um, was on sabbatical and um, moved to Littleton, kicking and screaming, back to the South Island, mm. um, thinking, oh my God, I need to be in the big city. What, what the hell am I doing here? But it was only meant to be a year, and it ended up being three years. Um, and I went back to uni because I hadn't finished. I'd refused to do shorthand when I was mm. at journalism school. Yeah, was the same. Yeah, and I still didn't do yeah, it. Yeah, so yeah. I pretended I was doing my shorthand and um, finished my... Yeah, I'll invent my own version yeah. of it. I, I, was, <laughs> well, I, I still think I've got... Now I can't read my own version of it. <laughs> but you probably do, like, bit in business. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's, some handy, there's some handy words. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, um, but I had spent so long learning Japanese, like kanji and hiragana. I was mm. like, I don't want to have to learn another um, character-based character thing. It was a nightmare for me. And it was every morning. It was mm. 8 o'clock yeah, yeah, in the morning. Yeah, yeah. My God, why did they do yeah, that? Yeah, that was the death of it for me. Oh, like, it really was. The least enjoyable thing at the yeah, worst hour. Worst which time. you see why you do it. Like yeah. it, sort, it, it sorts people out. It, it really does. The, yeah. And I've arguably... <laughs> Uh, I don't know, I've probably paid for it ever since, but then I've, I've sort of bought my freedom yeah. at the same time. Yeah. yeah, no, so I was supposed to be doing my shorthand, and um, and I went back and finished my English Lit degree in American Studies, which I actually really loved, and that was great being at Canterbury, but that stretched on, we were there for three years, and... Um, but actually, I really credit that time. I found it really hard being there in Littleton. Everybody was having babies and dogs and, mm. you know, people who were my age. They were all into skiing and rock climbing. And I was just actually wanting to 
be in a scene and kind of partying and mm. you know just taking it all in so I felt quite frustrated down there but it was actually a really good grounding uh, which I think people from small towns are good at in learning how to create your own fun mm, mm. and actually putting on events. So Luke was in about three bands. Um, he did some publications, The National Grid. We organised these um, country Sunday parties at the volcano. I worked at the volcano and at a local cafe while I was studying. And um, we actually engineered a, a scene that was kind of before that whole Littleton mm. sound really kicked mm. in. So that was actually amazing to be part of. And those parties were crazy, legendary. Um, I ended up in a car accident after one of them, which was not good. Um, but it was, yeah, it was good to have to be forced to do that and to mm. not have everything turned on for you in a city. Mm. And um, I actually, at that time... Um, started op shopping because I, I was doing a lot of op shopping I've always been into vintage clothing and I started stockpiling it and then created this whole thing because my boyfriend was so pissed off uh, that I was just hanging around cafes and not doing my shorthand <laughs> that I created a business called the Southern Salvation Corporation and I would come up to Wellington I'd stockpile all this stuff and do girls only, cash only, one night only parties where um, they would buy this vintage clothing. So it was basically like setting up a shop. And I did one on the frigate in the harbour and mm. um, they became quite legendary. And that was actually a really good indication for me that I was like, oh, actually I can market things. This is something I'm quite drawn to. Mm. And at the same time I got into promoting different events because we were putting them on and I was working for Staple with Cass. So mm. I was a deputy editor and she was the editor. Mm. So I was filing stories, doing lots of freelance writing at that time and would come up to Wellington still regularly to be yeah. there for Staple meetings and then put on these parties. Yeah. Staple made it through its first year and not a whole lot longer and it was a shame because it was... <gasps> it was, was a, a shame. It was a good little mag that was, I guess, probably a little bit ahead of its time. Definitely. In it was, what it was trying to do yeah, and yeah. how it was trying to be. It was um, yeah. a mix of lifestyle, fashion, culture, yeah. but, it, but, you know, it wasn't just glossy pictures, it actually had the substance, Yeah, so it and it was writing. It was such a good antidote to pavement. And yeah, and loop and things exactly, like that. Exactly, exactly. And um, towards where th things like the Wellington Guide and the um, Wellingtonian and those sorts of things, like it had that sort of aspect too, yeah. but more magazine. Yeah, and it's a bit more probably like mm. an early Frankie or mm. something mm. like that, and it mm. was, the thing I really liked about it, it was... It wasn't aspirational. Mm. It was actually just, in some ways, documenting how mm. things were at mm. that time. Mm. And, yeah, I met some super interesting people mm. doing staple. And, I mean, one story I did was, like, on children, uh, people who had had kids under 25. And, you know, so mm. I've, I know those families intimately from that time and have watched them grow. And mm. now all their kids are leaving home, you know. Cause mm. it's, crazy. So that's yeah, crazy. yeah. yeah. But at the time, I thought that was so wacky to have a baby at 23 mm. or something, you know, like, mm. um, but no, it was a shame that Staple didn't last. I mean, that's... I mean, that's just a curse of magazine. I mean, oh, it's so now, it's, now it's not even a, yeah. a, a conversation, really. But yeah. um, back then, that was the curse of magazines, wasn't yeah. it? Like? And Rachel King was selling the advertising. She mm. had come down from pavement and... Um, yeah, I mean, I think that it was longer than a year, wasn't it? Well, maybe it was two years. Two years. years it, was it was two years. Yeah. It was 20 episodes. Uh, 20 oh, it was two, yeah, because it, it was bi-monthly, yeah, yeah, bi wasn't yeah, it? 20, so it was, yeah, 20 issues. Yeah. And, um, 
Yeah, I I mean, it, people don't understand or didn't understand then how expensive it was each yeah. time to print. And yeah. um, I cast did an incredible job, but it just it just was t- too much. Mm. I can't even remember the story of kind of how it all. No, neither. Unfolded. I mean, I was filing some record reviews for yeah. Staple, and I wrote a couple of uh, features. I can't remember what. Now I do remember interviewing Julia Deans for a, a story, mm. um, uh, probably around Fur Patrol moving to. Moving or being based in Melbourne. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. They were still very much in the, Mm, we're going to make it, sort of, when I talked to her um, for that. And um, and spoke and um, manual kept going. Mm. And they Mm. kept going for quite a while because they had their... Their kind of fan base. They were doing their thing. But I remember, you know, there was some cool things. I remember... um, getting to go up to the big day out and interview Wayne Coyne from the Flaming Lips and that became yeah. a story for Manuel just because awesome. of, you know that that's what I was getting at before that they would um, take things that were you know they knew that people that were into skateboarding would want to read about the Flaming Lips yeah and Noah Butcher was yeah, the yeah. designer for, mm. across all of them and he's in mm. China now he he lives and works in China okay. and so he and I went out for a little bit yeah. as well yeah. but um yeah, staple. I, I mean, uh, what I remember is that pavement were incredibly aggressive in terms of mm. advertisers and also mm. writers. Like, if you if you advertised with them, you weren't allowed to advertise with staple and things mm-hmm. like that. And there was a decision that was made to go ahead with the the last printing the last issue when things were looking a bit dicey, mm. and that just took the whole business out. Right. Yeah. But I I remember I because w- in that for that last issue I was I went down to the tenth anniversary of the winter solstice party that yeah. Udemy rave down in um, <laughs> Otago. Yeah. And I was so bummed out that I didn't get to publish that story because that was just <laughs> freaking hilarious. I w- went down with Ange Gordon and. Um, yeah, it was it was quite something. We stayed at Seatoon in the old um, in the old uh, asylum, and it was it was quite an adventure. Yeah. Mm, mm. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm, I guess I'm looking for the the part in your life where mm. things slow down, oh. and I suppose you are too. That's <laughs> what I'm guessing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it was funny because after after. Littleton, I came back and worked on the arts festival, mm. so did an arts festival, which was mm. freaking mental, and then mm. moved to Berlin and lived in Berlin for a while, mm. um, and that was where I had my proper party apprenticeship and um, just learned how to put on huge events because the, the scene that I was in there um, was just major, 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 and mm. um, 10,000 people. So I was living in a communally run place called Bar 25, which is, um, you know, the, the music label now, but uh, also has become Holtzmarked and mm. is this mm. epicenter mm. Berlin crazy lifestyle. Um, yeah, when is it going to slow down? Um, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm incredibly lucky to have worked across all these different kind mm. of areas, and I've really been reflecting on it. I mean, it's 20 years now, and I've come and gone, but I've always come back to Wellington mm. and do have a big network here, as you said. But I actually, I mean, it's kind of like what's the next challenge, uh, apart from trying to find a house to buy. Um <laughs> But I've worked high-level politics, very high-level film, mm. um, done, you know, kind of retail work, very, very highly involved with Mighty Mighty and that whole kind of hospo mm. scene and crowd, done some music management and touring, worked at Nga Tonga, um, done the kind of, you know, tried to be a government servant and mm. uh, public servant and then also have, I did 
five years of me on my own before um, Double right. Denim yeah, as well, yeah, and yeah. that's coming up to five years now. Yeah, yeah. And I actually, yeah, for sure, definitely looking at when things might slow down. Mm. I went to a naturopath a few years ago that told me I was going to have a stroke if I didn't chill mm. out a bit, and mm. that was actually quite a good wake-up call. For how many months? Uh, how many months yeah. was that wake-up call in, in uh, practice? Well, no, she, one, one thing that she, at that time, um, that I started doing was going to Tuesday night, ladies sauna night on mm. uh, Tory Street. Because <laughs> you can't have your phone in there. Yeah. Um, but you often have quite interesting political discussions. Um, but no, I mean, definitely since um, joining forces with Ange Meyer and doing Double Denim, actually having a team, things mm. have been a lot less crazy. Mm. Um, because I got to a point where I felt like, especially working with Tyker and Jermaine, that um, the balls in the air were so large that one of them was just going to land on me and yeah. kill me or give yeah. me a stroke or something. Yeah. Um, but that's also just the film industry. It's, it's, mm. um, it takes every you know, bit that you have to give. Mm. So let's go through some mm. of those things. So you, uh, what we do in the shadows is obviously mm-hmm. a, a big thing and yeah. hunt for the world of people. Mm. So how does all this start, apart from the experience you've just catalogued yeah. and, and, the, and the sort of network that you grew and developed? Yeah. How do you move into things like that? I think um, it was a kind of a lucky combination, really. Um, I, because of the interest in storytelling... Mm. Um, and that background and training in journalism and being very good at connecting with people. I mean, it, it, overseas it's a job called Network Connector. Like, if, mm. if we were larger, that's mm. what I would be paid to do because that's yeah, actually yeah. what I'm very good at, pulling people who should know each other together. And there have been so many new relationships or new businesses or mm. new projects that have come through those connections. Um, so I lived in Berlin... Um, came back and did quite a bit of music stuff and was heavily involved with Mighty Mighty while I was working at mm. Nautonga mm. at the film archive at that time. And um, I basically... I mean, that was a tricky job because they had so much content that came out of that building. It was ridiculous. You know, they have a, a movie theatre running mm. all the time. They had a, two libraries, um, an art gallery and a travelling film show mm. as well as their online catalogue and all these relationships with art galleries around the country so ridiculous job mm. um, and but I kind of used it to get to a point so that I could go freelance and because I had that film connection it was actually Vicky Pope mm. who contacted me out of the blue and said look um, we don't know anything about this Facebook stuff. We can see that you're on top of it. How about you come to Invercargill with us for two little boys and um, do what you do? And so I was like, holy shit, this is crazy. Mm. What an opportunity. But I knew Brett McKenzie was on the film. Lauren Taylor was going to be there. So I kind of knew Vicky and Rob, but not mm. really. I knew Duncan a little bit um, and was just so wide-eyed and got to be on set and um, basically took the viewer, or took, created a Facebook audience and took them through this process of seeing what it was like to be on set. Mm. You know, there'd be things like, oh, AT's coming through, look out for AT, and I'd be like, shit, what the fuck's AT? And I was like, you know, it's obviously quite a big deal, and it's afternoon tea, <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> so I was such a rookie, yeah, yeah. but it was really beautiful because I got yeah. to share that rookiness, and that was at the same time that there was all that controversy going on with PJ, 
blocking mm. journalists. They were flying helicopters over trying to get um, shots of characters mm, in makeup right. for mm. Lord of the Rings and things like that. So um, I was like, because we're in this social media age, you actually, the audience demands to be yeah. able to be behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah. So that, I guess, was kind of my advantage because I was quite early in on that. And I really remembered there was an older publicist that I'd worked with, and she was like, oh, I'm not going to take any notice of this Facebook stuff. Um, it's just a fad. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's kind of that storytelling ability and that network connection. Um, and because I had that film knowledge I guess from being at the film archive um that was my window into that first film mm. and then the Roxy Cinema brought me on to do um their launch and then also their big launch party and because when I was in Berlin I was mm. basically living with these people who created the most insane events I mean I mm. was part of this vodka pirate gang and it was like we'd do parties for Mario Testino and Kate Moss and you know huge fashion events and things like that um so I put on this huge event at Roxy mm. um all just making it up as I went along mm. not really mm. you know knowing what I was up to but that kind of established me to then be able to do other film work and because when I was in Invercargill I became such good friends with Tim Shabolt um I ended up getting the contract to put on the red carpet premiere for oh, yeah, yeah. two little boys mm. um, and got to work in Invercargill for a month um, as an employee of the Invercargill City Council <laughs> which was pretty eye-opening mm. it was like a whole different world down there and really good to actually get out of that Wellington bubble and just be like okay this is provincial New Zealand mm. I was staying in this they put me up in this hotel and every day um, under the door uh, would would be the menu for the day with you know it was like roast Roast, uh, some kind of roast, roast lamb or whatever, but with the ice cream of the day, you know. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like wow. And they'd come around at lunchtime and ask what your McDonald's order was, and you know, so such a good experience. But then also put on this massive show, so quite comfortable doing very large scale parties with lots of characters. Mm. Um, and um, yeah, what? So how did I get into? what we do in the shadows and all that stuff um i guess because that film community was just mm, watching by reputation yeah by yeah, reputation yeah, yeah, yeah by reputation and then um yeah just got pulled into some mad escapades with all and, of that stuff and you have to not be a dick yeah right? yeah totally really, you know which <laughs> yes. is a really important thing for people and it's something you can't really teach no probably not at all and i do actually credit my Buddhist parents with mm. those lessons of not being a dick really and mm. one thing I do find quite hard in business um, often is I'm a firm believer in that kind of being in that flow and actually being generous mm. because um, not so that you can get something back but just actually that's how the world works in a much better way through mm. collaboration and caring and being compassionate um, I'm a firm believer in that and I don't actually like you know, a lot of the competition and the grabby mm. nature that goes on with, you know, so much of the of the business world. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, so those were pretty high-profile films mm. in New Zealand to yeah. work on. Yeah. And and then, you yeah, so around this time, I guess you're doing, was it Anna Dean Publicity? Was it yeah, it was I, Something I, like that, yeah, eh? it was just my name. Yeah, people just knew people my just name. People just knew you on that. Yeah, yeah, and I did have a kind of a, I used to call myself Spam Inc. Mm. But then actually it just got stuck in all these spam filters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
which was a bit stupid. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but then it was interesting because around that time of Hunt for the Wilder People, that was when um, Ange and I started mm. Double Denim. So mm. we have been doing that in October for five years. Double Denim is what? A creative, what do you, a creative agency? Yeah, a creative agency that specialises in marketing to women, mm. really. Mm. And um, alongside that, we've also done the Ace Lady Network, so yeah. the kind of feminist um, arm of the business, yeah. which has been going for seven years. And that got set up because um, both Ange and I had been through pretty harrowing experiences. She had nearly died trying to cross the Pacific Ocean on a boat with her one-year-old. And I'd gone on this ridiculous um, romantic adventure around India for three months on the back of an Enfield motorbike and had had my heart just kind of like terribly broken. Um, went all that way. Oh, we, uh, this character and I, um, he was in London and we met halfway and we'd actually written letters to each other for eight mm, months. Wow. <laughs> But went all that way and didn't even get a pash. It was um, a total disaster. <laughs> <laughs> but because we purchased this, you know, these infields, we were kind of locked into this um, this three month mm. drama. And uh, he ended up meeting all these other women along the way. And um, I'd given up my work and my flat, so I was just kind of stuck there. And yeah, no, it was a bit of a bit of a shocker. But came back and both Ange and I had contracts at City Gallery uh, when it was directorless. Mm. Um, Paula Savage had just finished, so ended up putting on some massive parties there, like blew out those openings ridiculously, changed the logo, did a new website, just smashed it. Um, but at that time, both of us were needing a bit of kind of um, inspiration, I guess, you know, feeling a bit downtrodden and... Mm. Um, yeah, I set up that Facebook page one night and we just started sharing inspiring female stories with each other and um, then people started following and would send it to us saying, oh, have you, have you seen this? Um, and now it's, you know, 7,000 strong and we put on regular events mm. and um, it's kind of the, you know, it, it's a good testing ground for a lot of the work that we do for Double Denim and... Mm. and Kind of vice versa, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it was interesting because we got a lot of flack when we first started being two women running a creative agency. Um, you know, so much of marketing and advertising has been dominated by men all these years, as we all know. Mm. We've all seen Mad Men and it's not much has changed. And um, we just resort to stereotypes so often. Mm. So we got told a few times that we'd be winning more pitches if we um, had a man on our team. So we actually looked at getting an actor mm. to come to mm. pitches with us to be like, oh, good day, mate, you know. <laughs> but then we were like, oh, it's probably not a good idea, <laughs> too risky. Um, but we then invested a huge chunk of our own money into doing a big piece of research into the power of the female economy, just so we actually had the business case for it. Um, but then did also asked a lot of emotional life questions for these women. And, um, yeah, that's kind of the basis of our business. Mm, mm. Yeah. Mm. And it's what you're describing there is complete mirror of what's going on, well, everywhere, but what's going on in New Zealand at the moment with politics, right? Mm. Basically, the attitude is 
essentially, you've done a pretty good job, little lady. Now step aside. Step aside. Let the let the let, big let boys. Let the man come yeah, in. Let the big boys take and over. That, and the, we're uh, seeing the that. money stuff. Yeah. And we're seeing that right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and we're se- and, and what's more devastating is we're seeing that right now by a party that's being run by a woman is is doing that too. So yeah. She's, yeah. You know. And, and it's interesting because a lot of those older women are such agents of the patriarchy. Mm. They actually don't realise uh, how they're operating is yeah. just you know perpetuating a whole lot of these norms mm. um yeah and so we worked on the last election we did the election campaign for the greens last time around and i've just come from a an event with james Shaw, and you know we were just saying gosh it's so nice to you know <laughs> not have this huge i mean this time last time around we were in the middle of changing all of the campaign mm. videos because Macharia had um mm. just ignited um, yeah, so we had to come up with a new campaign slogan, new videos, everything. The works, yeah, wow. yeah about five weeks out from the election. So, um, yeah, it's it's pretty tough. But it was interesting because I really felt like going from film work, which in my role in film, you know, is collect the stories and then make sure everybody goes to see the film. Um, and essentially, it's focused on opening weekend. You know, that's what the these mm. days. That's all that counts. How many people mm. walk through that door on opening weekend? Because then the exhibitors will keep that in or not. Um, it's very similar kind of push to actually get people to go and vote. Mm. And um, yeah, that's a bit of frustration with a lot of political types because you know they think it's something bigger and broader than that, but actually it is. It's a marketing pushed you know when you're in election time mm, mm. yeah so um very glad to not be working in it this time around yeah gotta yeah. say yeah <laughs> just sit back and watch yeah yeah <laughs> a yeah bit. yeah and also have an ex-husband in the mix which makes it a bit strange mm. yeah <laughs> what um is the secret to throwing a good party putting on a good ooh, event ooh. yeah um there's a few tricks that I use. Um, what I tend to do, and this sounds terribly boring in terms of party organisation, but I usually have uh, in my mind blocks of 15 minute intervals. So it's basically like every 15 minutes I know what the kind of the arc or what stage mm-hmm. of the arc we're at. And I really enjoy um, kind of creating <clears throat> things that are unexpected or slightly terrifying or, you know, ways to make the people come together um, so that they connect, usually because they're horrified, shocked, worried, concerned, um, mm. slightly scared, because then they actually come come together and start talking. And then they relax because they're safe together. And then, you know, something can actually, the magic then happens, mm, mm. which sounds a bit strange, but it actually, it's a formula that really, really works. Mm, mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. An example would be, I did this really big party for um, OSOS, the open source conference, and they were all jaded, tired, two weeks, uh, two days of talking up in the Michael Fowler Center and um, sent in a, um, that band, oh, I can't remember what they're called. Uh, they used to do Cuba Duper quite a bit, where they literally wear all of the plastic junk. They, there's kind of like a percussive, oh, they, yeah, they wear I... these outrageous, um, they're very loud, mm. very loud drumming, but mm. wearing recycled huge bits of plastic. Mm. And they can barely walk, they look like big giant robots mm. in a lot of ways. So 
I had, have a picture in my mind, but I can't remember yeah, the name yeah, either. Yeah, I can't yeah, remember yeah. the name either. But um, had them turn up right at the closing of this thing, and everybody was just like, <laughs> what is that racket? Mm. And then it was just like they were they were calling people to follow them. So basically everybody starts following this big random mm. robotic big giant bits of plastic mm. through into the city gallery, um, which where this whole kind of incredible landscape had been set up with these... Um, pyramids of um these kind of plastic pyramids where inside you could you could get uh your spirit animal drawn and there were all these doric columns with like spray painted computers on top of them because mm. i was slightly taking the piss out of them that they're this mm, mm. big giant cult of um mm. future technologists so <laughs> everybody was wearing white and the food was you know like it was a yeah, little yeah. theme so yeah, yeah yeah um and they ended up going crazy they were all dancing for hours um disaster radio played and people were on people's shoulders dancing yeah, so that's the kind of thing I really like when it just flips into something yeah, yeah, else. Yeah, yeah. God, mm. it sounds um, terrifying <laughs> and exhausting. And I wonder what the payoff is outside of being, you know, fiscally reimbursed, uh, uh, compensated, mm. what the actual payoff is. Because what's the flip side to that? What if it goes badly? Hmm. I've never had a party fall flat, oh, to be honest. that's probably why you get to keep doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, yeah, the payoff. I mean, I actually, I actually. Because do you get to enjoy it? Like you're enjoying it in reflection. Yeah. But is that the only way you get to enjoy it? I really like that moment. I really like um, watching people have that shift in consciousness. That's the thing I really mm -hmm. enjoy. Like when they truly let their inhibitions go and they mm -hmm. properly relax, mm. and also have complete strangers actually connect properly like that for me is that sweet spot that's mm -hmm. what I really enjoy mm -hmm. about it um and that was the really interesting thing about Mighty Mighty because I was very involved with uh, mm. setting that up and the thing that I said to Sam is basically like it needs to provide everybody needs to have a license to spares because he was really into this idea of the community hall and I was like yeah that's great we need a community hall but Every, it needs to be a community hall where anything goes mm. and that people have a license to spares. And that was mm. very much what happened. Because when I first was talking to them about it, oh, who's that? <laughs> <laughs> they were talking about um, opening a, a, a tapas restaurant, you know, mm. and I was like, mm, well, no, it doesn't need a yeah, tapas yeah. restaurant in an old Pakistani yeah. restaurant. You yeah. know, like, come on, how boring. Um, so... Yeah, it, it basically became this crazy community hall where anything went. Yeah, and mm. it was, I mean, I remember seeing you up there a few times and um, and going there a bunch of times, mm. and it was a um, it was a big loss there, right? Like it oh. was a kind of, um, it was I one of those, feel yeah, it. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was one of those things where it's like for all of the the death of live music and venues in Wellington, that, that one was um, one of the really significant, losses I think because yeah. it was a special type of venue that well I guess it's that thing you're talking about that community and license to spaz sort of thing but, yeah, yeah. but you know you would see international acts there you would see first time bands there you would see very well established mm. sort of legendary Kiwi acts yeah. and, and, and everything in between from ad hoc gigs to very structured mm. you know book launches um, art 
stuff like the drawings the the classes yeah the markets i know yeah. i know it's so and so that just grew and grew over the what four or five years that it was, was it, it ran for seven was it seven yeah, yeah it ran for seven years which is kind of like the the usual yeah, yeah, bark yeah, of a bar yeah yeah um and sam to his credit's always very good at kind of pulling out at the right time mm-hmm. financially mm-hmm. i think mm-hmm. um because it had definitely reached its kind of hey done its journey yeah yeah and there was also this this um thing that was happening where younger and younger people were coming in yeah. and it was getting pretty out of control yeah. i mean at the last few times they went you know there was broken glass on the yeah, dance floor yeah. and stuff like that so um, when that alcohol age re- changed, you know, there mm. was suddenly there were people who were much younger who were coming in, and um, yeah, I mean, it was it was uh, it was the place you'd take people from out of mm, Wellington mm, to go. Look, mm. you know, look what we have here, this mm. incredible, incredible spot. Yeah, I was really lucky because I got to organise lots of the birthday parties that mm. they have there, and then also did the whole Good Cunts Club. Yeah. And the initiation ceremonies and all of that kind of stuff, the, mm. the um, which was super fun. And I'm so amazed, you know, that there was these really strict rules about not talking about it. And people really haven't ever talked mm. about it. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Were you in the good nah, club? Got, oh, no. what? Oh, nah. no. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm not, I'm not in any club. Yeah. No, but I've never. No, I mean I am actually. I'm in yeah. your. I'm in your fanny pack. Oh yes, we haven't you're talked in the about fanny the fanny pack. pack. Yes. I'm in the fanny oh, pack. Good, good, good. But um, <laughs> but, but that's but, but that's, I'm not really in any clubs. But yeah. I am in the fanny pack. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's funny because the GCC <laughs> was a really good example of freaking everybody out mm. because no one had any idea what was happening and they all got blindfolded and they you know they got dunked in the bucket fountain and yeah, all sorts of classic. stuff and yeah it was it was really it was really quite quite great. That yeah. Was, that was a highlight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's funny. <laughs> but also those final parties as well, because I organised a few, because I always did the uh, vodka slides up there, and that was mm. something that I'd learnt in Berlin, um, running running those. So, no, I really I They really also do had, the, I, only, I only ever DJed there once, quite yeah. towards the end of it. I did the Prince thing that I was, did in a few places, just playing all Prince stuff when, yeah. when he was still alive. Awesome. Um, but it probably had the best DJ booth maybe the, certainly that I've ever played in in terms mm. of room and well mm. everything like it sounded great but just the sort of space and access and it was, it was funny. fantastic because because it was a a cramp it could be uh, in, in the best possible way a cramped little venue like people just folded themselves into it especially, yeah. especially bands on stage yes, you know? and yeah, I played I played there once actually as well mm. with a with a band but um I th- that was quite tight, but yeah. the DJ booth was fantastic. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> yeah, no, I did a couple of like Bob Log gigs there. Mm. Wing, that was a mm. highlight. Um, it's funny, I was just thinking because I I booked um, the CW Stone King play. Yes. Was it? Well, that yes. was one of the birthdays. That was a birthday. Yeah, yeah, yeah that was got fantastic. Him to come over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, one of the the first uh, burlesque number that I that was booked there, mm. I organised and. Um, it was for um, the High Aces from Littleton, Luke's, one of Luke's bands, and I didn't really know what the burlesque... That was kind of pre-the burlesque scene. Mm. And so I got this woman, I found her number, I don't know how, and um, she was from the hut. And she came out and she um, was wearing these, like, really full-on, um, you know, perspex mm. stripper shoes. And then came out in this crazy thong and lit a candle and did a headstand and stuck it up her butt. (laughs) (laughs) And I was just standing there going, that's not burlesque. Like, (laughs) what the hell? 
audience yeah. was just like <gasps> mouths open but just went yeah. absolutely wild yeah, wild wow. wild and then another thing I really enjoyed there was um it was something that I'd seen in Berlin where basically we just got boxes and boxes of confetti and organized these huge fans and then just unleashed all of this confetti into these fans. So you just have these huge arcs mm. of confetti rolling around. Everybody's just throwing confetti into the air. And it just looked incredible. But everybody for about a week, yeah, you know, had confetti out coming of... <laughs> out of their nose and your eyes and your ears and your, yeah. all layers of your clothes. I mean, you'd never, I would never do something like that now. I mean, God, it's such, it's so wasteful. Yeah. It's so plastic. I went to yeah. the, um, 50th anniversary of the Govett Brewster this year, before just before lockdown, yeah. fairly before the lockdown. Yeah. And I was asked to go over and do some DJing there and um, at like an after party thing. But they had this giant cake that they blow up with confetti all through the street and I was like, yeah, that's pretty old school. Yeah. And it was a mess. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it, it is cool. old school now. <laughs> yeah. It's terrible. And it was a mess and, yeah. and they dealt with it pretty quickly. Today? Like they yeah. had um, street sweepers and as soon as it finished that night and, and, and but the next morning there was still the resi- obviously still loads of the residue of it yeah no you know? dodgy dodgy yeah. dodgy I mean even balloons give me the creeps these days yeah. now and um, yeah I mean it's really amazing how far we've come mm. and it's interesting I was reflecting this morning um, on how that green movement or even the green party you know it's really mm. become so much more mainstream that actually yeah. we all do I mean in our Wellington bubble. I mean, it was very interesting. You were asking me when I'm going to slow down, and I definitely had a sense... And you've just talked non-stop to cover (laughs) for the fact that you don't have an answer. (laughs) (laughs) No, well, I was. I happened to to find myself in Golden Bay for lockdown. Yeah, right. And that was actually fantastic. So you've had had three years of... Um, chilling out in, in a couple of months. <laughs> yeah, but I was working the whole time. Yeah, but it was just actually um, fantastic to to be somewhere where I was like, oh wow, um, I could actually have a bit of a work life balance and similar mm. to um, mm. you know thinking about other places to live. Mm. Um, you know, I was able to jump out and go for a kayak or you know jump in the sea and mm. came back with an autumn tan and was like, oh gosh, maybe I need to make some, you know, better life choices or, or think more carefully about exactly where I'm living and how often I'm working and, mm. yeah, that, that kind of thing. And it is interesting because I uh, went through quite a harrowing um, divorce, you know, about three years ago and um, at that time went back to my what, roots. As, a, as opposed to the good fun kind. <laughs> of divorce. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, some people have divorce Those parties. People have amicable yeah. ones, but yeah, yeah, they're, they're, they're not a walk in the park, surely. No. They're not supposed to be no, they're, fun. No, they're not. But no. anyway, yeah. But that had, was yeah. Um, as harrowing as the marriage, so um, <laughs> which was very short, seven and a half months. But um, the at that time, I went kind of full circle and went on some silent meditation retreats, so have actually been really getting getting back into that. My parents mm. are so pleased. Um, and I've actually done eight silent meditation retreats wow. in the last three years. Yeah, wow. Which has actually been so useful, and mm. it's incredible. I, I went to this one last year in, in Byron Bay, and I'm definitely getting much more interested in this whole area of deep adaptation and kind of, you know, trying to have some active hope around climate change realities and Mm. and actually what that means. I mean, it's very interesting. I'm 42. I don't have any children. And 
um, I can see that having awkward conversations about climate change is actually much easier if you don't have children, and it feels like mm. quite an interesting area for me. Um, I went through this process, uh, which was developed by this Buddhist nun in her 90s from California, of active hope, which is basically about recognising that everybody has a lead emotional response, emotional response to climate change that that stops, mm. it, it leads to hopelessness and inaction. And so I very much am aware that, um, you know, that's such a, a hindrance to this movement. I mean, mm, we've, mm. we've seen, you know, people aren't interested in facts and, and numbers and, you know, you, you can give all this information till the cows come home, but actually mm. if it's not resonating and the stories aren't being told properly or the emotional response is not addressed, things aren't actually going to change. Mm. But, yeah, I went on this great... Um, great retreat last year and had my fear, my existential fear around climate change turn into courage. So that's something that I'm um, super, super interested in and trying to weave more into our work. I mean, because mm. you know, mm. we basically have no economy if we have mm. no environment. And, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, that's that's deeply deeply troubling for, for me. And, you know, God, we're sitting in August. Well, we have a bigger tension than that because we have no economy if we have no environment. And then a big part of our economy comes from things that directly contribute to pulling our environment to bits. Exactly. Right? This so, endless extraction. Yeah. Yeah, it yeah, can't yeah. go on. It can't go yeah. on. And that's Which is not to suddenly and instantly badmouth uh, farmers and the extractors mm. of the... Mm. But it's just a fact that... Mm. that but also there's been incredible growth in terms of farming. I mean, mm. regenerative agriculture is one of the mm, biggest mm. growing um, areas of industry in New Zealand at the moment. You know, the people are completely waking up. And I think, um, you know, that's got a lot to do with the Greens actually just doggedly having these conversations. Do you know what I reckon one of the coolest rebrands there's ever been is, mm. is Country ca Calendar. Oh, it yeah. hasn't really rebranded. It no. uses basically the same theme song. It's in a similar slot that it's always been. It, it's essentially doing the same thing. But if you watch it now, it's a fucking cool show that's really interesting, that's really modern, That, but it's essentially the same. And so there's a whole bunch of people that basically, why would I watch Country Calendar? I'm not a farmer. But then you find out that people like myself, well, I mean, I'm not a farmer, and God, if you had me on a farm, you, you know, you wouldn't have a farm for much longer. Yeah. Um, but I love watching it. It's like, mm. man, it's really good storytelling. It's incredible. Yeah. And I actually would credit the Top Twins. Their show around farming was one of the first to properly introduce mm. a whole lot of these kind of wacky right, um, yeah. ideas. And I think country calendar actually possibly mm. I'm just surmising um, saw that because they they introduced some saw pretty said, out there and said step aside ladies let a man come yeah, in and, yeah. <laughs> and finish the job oh, oh my goodness <laughs> yeah yeah but no country calendar and I actually really enjoy RNZ's country life mm. oh yeah it's big time great. That, now that's a thing I more stumble upon than, than book in but I of agree course. like totally it's really Friday good Friday night yeah, yeah yeah it's really good if I find myself hearing that I, mm. I get really invested in it. Yes, yeah, same. Yeah, I mean, yeah. some of I mean, I, I spend a bit of time thinking about the stories that I've yeah. heard on that show. Um, yeah. yeah, it's absolutely fascinating. And 
Um, yes, there's an interesting job actually going at RNZ at the moment, publicity job. And I was like, oh, that, that's such... But it's in Auckland, you know, so I was like, oh no. But, um, I mean, gosh, what a what a service. Because the other thing, I, I set up that um, Save Radio New Zealand yes. Facebook page yes, years right. ago. Yeah, 10 years ago. Yeah, 10 years ago. <laughs> it's mental. It's mental. Yeah. Back when you could get 30,000 followers in under a week. Yeah. I mean, now you'd have to pay. Why did, what, what was the original point of that? Well, National, what were they going to do? Me. It was, there was a funding yeah. freeze. It was a funding freeze, basically. Yeah. And, I mean, I know because I'd been taking um, people up to Kim Hill and things for years and knew that the fridges were locked on the weekend, you know, just stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. Everything was bare bones. Mm. Um, yeah, I actually wrote a thing about it for the spin-off um, semi-recently, you know, because... I, I, yeah. I remember that piece, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. because the, yeah. Uh, that the was around the Concert youth. FM youth FM thing. Yeah, but yeah. that seems to have vanished. Well, youth. COVID yeah. fixed that, I think. <laughs> <laughs> just kind of became a, a, a non-story because there were bigger fish to fry, like there was a bigger thing going on. But I think all those concert people kept their jobs as far as I As, as far yeah. as I know, the yeah. ones that wanted to certainly did. Yeah, um, the, but there have yeah. been some changes oh, in the music team. Yeah, but, yeah, and it's still going. But um, yeah, I think it was just sort of like, um, there was a bit of... Um, anger and hostility and outrage and then there was COVID so yeah that kind that kind of put the finishing um, yeah touch on that conversation yeah. for a bit I think but it was also such a perfect example of kind of um commercial radio background people from Auckland swooping in um oh big, know, big time yeah <laughs> big time <laughs> going well, I know, what, what's needed I mean I, I've done a little bit of casual work for them mm-hmm. and so I was actually there when it went down and it was interesting being there because I'm just a person who turns up and puts my headphones on and does what I'm told when I'm there. And um, so I'm not looking to have any kind of spin on it. But it was interesting being there, like being in a place that hadn't treated some of its workers at all well in terms of how it communicated its message is, yeah. it, is about what I would say. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I thought, I felt really um, sorry for plenty of the people, of course, and mm. I also felt, I guess in that moment, pleased that I'm so largely unemployable because I don't have to go through that, <laughs> through that shit. Yeah, it was interesting because I was asked to do the... I did the launch for the wireless mm. like a few years mm. ago and mm. that was, you know, that yeah, that was super interesting but also not very well kind of thought through. No, it didn't and, seem like it. Yeah, but did launch, you know, um, had some great people like Al Hunt is, mm. you know, freelancers for the guardian mm. megan whelan moved up through the ranks mm. and but oh, i remember yeah. when i saw the brand and i was like why is this called the wireless you know like it has such a different mm. connotation for mm. anyone mm. younger i was like this basically looks like a brand for 40 year olds like and you're trying to target youth the font is gigantic well i think you just described any innovation rnz does Basically, yeah. I was like, this this logo looks like is, tampon is packaging. Something that forty and fifty year olds think is cool. Yeah, is basically any innovation they do. Yeah, it's interesting because I had a, a fascinating conversation. Don't get me wrong, I'm a big fan of the yeah. station. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, fan. same, same. And, and, I, and I've given them a lot of my time for nothing, yeah. and I've and I've yeah. been paid a tiny bit for. Yeah. And I would I would like to do more work for them. Mm, um, mm. But so I'm a big fan. But yeah. yeah, there's definitely like like some. Um, Slowpoke approach to things. Yeah, yeah. But that's the the curse, I guess, of um, mm. government departments and um, 
yeah, people not wanting to stick their neck out or something. Also, I don't know what Also, I mean, departments. okay, it's not, it doesn't broadcast live 24-7, but it kind of does. Mm. And uh, essentially, like, that's, a, that's an impossible cycle to innovate around. You know, it's like these people that work there mm. are concerned with putting on a show yeah, every it, fucking it's day. It's immediate. It's every immediate. day. Yeah. And reacting to changes that happen yeah. in that show yeah. and in the world if while the, while the world is happening around that show. it's I think it's quite hard to be a cross-strategic thing over and above that. It's so true. And, um, I and mean, then what do you do? Call people in that aren't actively involved in it and have no feel for it. To, to facilitate that so I don't you know I don't know yeah. what the answer is I mean it's fascinating because I mean it, that was one of the reasons I really wanted to get out of journalism when I first got mm. into it because mm. I could see that the kind of writing was on the wall <laughs> in a lot of ways and um, just heard uh, I was talking this morning to an APN uh, reporter from from Australia who was here covering the election and basically has to file two stories a day mm. and lots of the journos I know have to have to file between five and eight mm. and I was like that that's why we have so much news written from tweets and it's like yeah. you can't actually even hear yourself think yeah, totally. in that kind of time frame I mean I have to had to file a story every three days from the south yeah. you know like it was and they would fit into one of five things it was like extreme weather mm-hmm. fluffy animal story um some kind of murder, you know, car accident or, you know, some kind of atrocious thing that way. Students and then rugby. Mm. And those mm. were all of the stories that I that mm. I filed. Mm. You know, so there was a definite format for it and you didn't really have to think outside the square. But now all of these people who work in these newsrooms that are also much smaller than they've ever been are working oh, like yeah. absolutely crazy. Well, you, when you were talking about journalism earlier in this mm. conversation and the sort of jadedness of some of the people and and I'm thinking about it again now with the RNZ mm. chat and what you're just mm. talking about a, a story I've told before but I often think about as gosh it was probably 2004 or 2006 when I was filing you know reviews for the um, Don Post for Arts Festival mm. um, which I did certainly from 2002 through till about 2016 and um and uh so it was maybe the second or third time I'd done that, and they started going, um, actually, you know, it was still in the kind of early days of decent, decent Wi-Fi and yeah. rah, rah, rah. So, and actually, you can just come up to the building after the show and f- sit, sit on the... Someone will log you in and rah, rah, rah. Wow. So I used to go up to the building at 10 o'clock at night and have, mm. like, 20 minutes to spit something story. out, which yeah. is fine. But a woman sitting across from me looked up and then carried on with their work, and then looked up again. And was the, this was the first time I'd been in there at night. Yeah. And then she typed a bit more, clack, 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 and then she, like, something was on her mind, and then she eventually said, have you always sat there? <laughs> and the, so I just answered, honestly, I just said, yeah. no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, I haven't. And, yeah. she, and that was enough. She was like, oh, okay, and then yeah. went back to it. And it's like, that's just a beautiful summary to me of the, of the jadedness of, of that kind of work, mm, of mm, like, oh, something's mm. a bit different here. I don't mm. think he used to sit there. Well, actually, it's the first time you've ever seen me. Yeah, I don't yeah, work yeah. here. No. You know, like, I have been in this building before, but I've never seen you before. Yeah. And just weird. No, it is weird. And then this kind of direction that we've gone into kind of like opinion dressed or news dressed opinion dressed as news which Mm. is incredibly problematic and a whole other conversation but I was just thinking that when I was at broadcasting school 
um, Paul Norris was the mm. head then, and Sahai Tiffin was my journalism tutor, and Shona Geary. But the one thing that they that I was really left with this impression, because they could see how the internet was developing, and mm. <coughs> I mean, I find it really interesting being one of these, um, what are they called, Xenials, where it's that bit of Gen X, mm. <coughs> where my, um, my entire childhood was analogue, but mm. then my entire adult life has been digital, so mm. it's really good to sit between that divide. Mm. And that's actually why I think Jacinda Ardern's so effective, yes. she's in that, in that um, bridging yeah. generation as well. But and she was brought up with a conservative religion too, so that probably <laughs> yeah <laughs> probably yeah. added to it. Yeah, it's interesting, but but what, and in a small town, you know. Yeah, yeah. what they were saying was that um, the the way that people are going to be most effective in the future in terms of journalism training, or um, is basically around a curation of content, and that's mm. actually what I've always admired about you, like your your Facebook feed and your cross section mm. of material and information. Um, is a perfect curation um, of you know that that I completely appreciate. So mm-hmm. for me, that's kind of um, yeah, that's what's so vital and important these days. Rather than I mean, yes, the news has to happen, but it's also like these kind of curations of very yeah, good yeah. content. But what do you do? Like, how do you how do you how do you a how do you get paid for that, and how do you move on from the I guess the not the perception, but maybe the the spot that you put yourself in. Like, I um, asked the other day on both of my Facebook pages what people would be interested in if I was to do some sort of Substack-style newsletter thing. Mm. And essentially, uh, there was crashing silence um, with a little little hint of indifference. And then, eventually, there was a trickle of, like, just keep putting things on Facebook, please. <laughs> you know, which, is, which I totally get, because it's like... And... Because people are going, well, that's where I get my stuff. I don't yeah. actually want an email newsletter. Now, that's just a very um, unstrategic, random sampling. Mm. Like, so but that's, you have a that's, decent that's, following. That's, yeah. yeah, that's right. But that's not the beginning and end of my thinking on that. Mm. But it's interesting when you see that stuff. You go, well, have I just become a, a battery hen for other people's, you know, occasional whim? Yeah. And in my... In my darkest moments and they aren't that dark if those are my darkest moments I do think that I think well I've created this rod for my back that I'm just doing this and that's the whole tyranny of Facebook yeah yeah really. yeah, yeah um, totally that we're all but stuck but if you into. don't do it yeah you're, you're also a bit of a mug like I mm. catch up with people occasionally that are like it's good to see you again I've, I'm not on social media oh actually I am and they'll say like oh I use Twitter or I use Instagram sure and they'll want to reconnect and it's like cool I do that too um, we can do that but you do the majority of your things will be through Facebook or, or Twitter for some people or whatever you know yeah well we went through a big um, process around this for the Ace Lady Network mm. because yeah essentially I mean I've spent seven years posting three to four articles a day you know mm, like mm. <laughs> maybe not so much in the weekends mm. and it's like far out I mean this is such a service mm. and a careful curation mm. of really decent interesting content mm. that I know is of interest to our followers mm. and we've gone through periods of having you know other admins who you know Gemma Grace would occasionally yeah. put something in and Melody Thomas might drop something in and and Angie and I have shared that load over that whole time um, and there's been periods where one person's kind of less interested or things like that, but it's, it's been this 
constant mm. um, hungry beast. And so we were looking at, okay, um, we have a newsletter now as well that we mm. send out weekly mm. on Sundays, and that's a paid subscription. And... Um, yeah, it, it, that almost has become more of a rod for the back as mm, well, mm. Um, because it's so convenient to put things on Facebook. Mm. Um, yeah, it's yeah, a, and I find a weekly deadline one of the worst things yeah, in the yeah. world. Like yes, it's yes. so tough. It, yeah. it's it comes it's it's fast. Regu- it's fast. Yeah, but it's not so fast that it just becomes a second nature habit. You have to really like. So when I was doing a blog every day for stuff mm. uh, for eight years or whatever, yeah. I fell into that groove. Right. And I was fine. Yeah. Every day something's yeah. got to happen. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of people said, oh, you shouldn't do it as much. But if I did that once a week, I would, it would, Sunday night would just be this dread. Horrible and, panic, and, yeah. And okay, I might have had a, a tiny bit of frustration and dread some nights of, oh, I really can't think of anything. I can't be bothered. Mm, mm. But doing it every day gave you a license to occasionally phone it in. As yes, well, and it's because they can't all be bangers. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. whereas if you once a week, you got to bring your A game. Yeah, and also it's if tough. it's daily, it's a practice, and, and, and you're in that yeah. muscle no, memory, totally. and you you're Absolutely. in that zone. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I mean it is it is a. I mean David Ferry has actually done it very well. Yeah, he's he's gone to a Substack. Yeah, um, yeah, I've noticed that. Yeah, yeah. It, it's very entertaining. Yeah, it's yeah. very useful information, um, and he's gone to a paid. Process, mm. but his international reach is massive. Yeah, yeah, He's kind yeah. of got this celebrity that's yeah. well beyond. Al Hunt actually yeah. has set one up as well. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it's a real conundrum, I mm. think, for curators of information these days. Mm. And um, jobbing journos. I mean, most of the ones I know, you know, they're really underpaid. They're incredibly sure. strung out. Yeah, yeah. Um, they don't know what the future is. Yeah. For, you know, much, much work. I mean, mm. lots of those stuff reporters were all stood down on yeah. um, forced leave. Yeah. You know, over yeah, that yeah. COVID time and. Yeah. Um, and they're all asked to do. I mean, people are asked this in their jobs a lot anyway. But they're all, journalists and broadcasters are all asked to do something for nothing. Like yeah. they're all asked to do a little bit extra. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, and also you do because your name yeah. is on it. That's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But also, <laughs> and it extends to basic. Like I think businesses are very have become very crafty at how they see the opportunity for people who are curating content through social media. They they have these policies some quite draconian around social media mm. but they also see the opportunity when when it's working for them that an employer is helping their brand and oh. they don't compensate that absolutely at all. Yeah. i was actually sitting at a um a table the other night with um with the spin-off crew mm. after the um politics and pubs mm-hmm. um daniel mclaughlin and mm. simon bridges which was fascinating yeah it and sounded it yeah, yeah it was so good actually went out for dinner with them afterwards but i was sitting next to um three social media managers you know people who are managing yeah. feeds yeah and all of us were saying that we would be off it if we could be if yeah, our yeah. work wasn't on it and yeah. it's really interesting because i'm definitely noticing this real malaise among people who have been jobbing in it for mm. all of this mm. time i mean god it's like 12 years yeah yeah now it's yeah. it's just crazy and i've um 
you know, I've managed um, social media feeds for very big uh, organizations and even like running the Instagram for the Green Party um, as a volunteer in a lot mm. of ways, but you know, it was part of our contract as well. In the lead up to the last election, it was the last thing I thought of before I went to sleep. It was the first thing I checked when I woke up mm. all day. You know, you're kind of, you're constantly on mm. having to answer these stupid comments and questions and you know also mm. then the trolling that comes through and removing you know like yeah, it's I was gonna ask absolutely you what, insane I was going to ask you what the kind of because I get the feeling your double denim and, and particularly Ace Lady Network mm. stuff is like I follow that and mm. I enjoy following that and I'm pretty silent around following that because I should be I think mm -hmm. as well um, it's it's absolutely for me but it's not for me to be mm -hmm. weighing in on it mm. Um but what sort of moderation and, and aggression is there coming back at you? What sort of blowback, if any, is there? Is it mostly positive vibes, or do you have to put up with some people schooling you on, on you know, you've got good intentions, but you're actually being hypocritical here, and here's why? Like, that sort of bullshit. Is that, um, does that come up? There's not too much cancel like culture. Much. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, occasionally, uh, we do get a bit of anti-trans stuff, mm, like the turfs mm, occasionally mm. kind of come. Yeah, because that's us. its own thing. That's its own that's, thing. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, um, and then, but then interestingly, I've had more blowback from people who are anti-turf in some mm. some random ways mm -hmm. um, that I because I was following the turf page for example just to see what they're talking about you know mm -hmm. to understand you know the other side of the argument I always yeah, I yeah, always yeah. do think that's kind of interesting and for sure and someone contacted me to say that they had been standing up for me in an argument with people I didn't even know yeah. that I wasn't a turf supporter wow and I was yeah. like is this really what you guys are spending yeah. your time doing? And yeah. that's back to that Brett Easton Ellis kind of yes. take that yes. actually a yeah. lot of these arguments and this kind of liberal hard left, um, you know, kind of mm. shouty, you know, I can't support Jacinda because of X, Y, or Z. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's so unhelpful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it actually needs to be about this much bigger picture yeah. because, um, yeah, I mean, I, I do appreciate activists, but one thing I've really learned, especially through the political process, is that, um, you know, you can be out the front shouting, shouting, shouting and cutting that path, and that's mm. very important that people do that and, and change things up. But you also have to be able to send people back to hold the hand and take the mainstream voter or the mainstream block mm. of people through and along the journey and, and tell them the story. Otherwise, they just look at that shriekiness and they all shut mm. down. Mm. And so that's a similar thing in terms of the... Um, the the ace lady space you yeah. know we still and there and there is this whole blowback of jordan peterson type people mm. um and you know i keep running into all these act followers who are similar kind of characters men who mm -hmm. are followers of 
Jordan Peterson and that that kind of you know don't tell me what to do and mm. um, you know we we need smaller government rather than than more. I mean I went on a bloody Bumble date with some random um, recently who you know kind of is, by the end of the conversation was like you're not going to like this but I'm an act voter and I was like crikey right. okay <laughs> we um, agree on something yeah, I'm not going to like that <laughs> yeah but I was like why yeah. tell me why yeah. yeah and the pathetic excuses or you know the or the reasons yeah. not excuses but yeah, the, yeah, yeah. but the kind of reasoning was like um, we need smaller government and I was like okay which MPs would you get rid of mm. which electorates Tell me, mm. you know, like if you mm. if you're gonna make a statement like that, you know, you should be able to go. Mm. Okay, mm. we need to get rid of, you know, X Y Z. And he was like, you know, I don't want the the government messing with my my ability to have free speech. You know, it's pathetic, pathetic arguments. And then uh, what was the other thing he said that I was just like, oh, um, you know, government shouldn't control our lives. And this was just after the lockdown. And I was like, look, if there's any time in the history of um, this mm. country that we've actually seen effective government <laughs> and, yeah, and what, getting, <laughs> we've just lived through it mm. you know can you please recognize that you know just astonishing i just keep coming back to the um idea basically that oh, okay you're unhappy with how things went um you'd like to voice your concern about that you're alive because of how things were dealt with mm. Mm. so in the way that yeah. make, that makes your argument that you're unhappy about this null and void because exactly. the reason you're alive and back to work and in yeah. record time, yes. which is now showing around yes. the world, yes. with, fingers crossed, pretty low complications all round, is because of this. So actually, you know, yeah. write, write it down mm. on a postcard and mail it to yourself, because yes. it doesn't fucking matter. No. Like, it's, you've, it's null and void. It doesn't. But it was interesting because um, after that conversation, I also, I went back to Golden Bay for a couple of weeks after the after the lockdown, and um, the guy in the Pohara um, fish and chip shop said, oh, you're back already. Wellington, they were pulling, they were pulling down too many statues for your liking, were they? And I was just like, astonished, you yeah. know, I was just like, oh, they haven't pulled down enough as far as I'm concerned, and yeah. he was equally astonished. Yeah. You know, and it's just like, that's exactly what I'm talking about, of this need to send yeah. people back to hold the hand and explain, yeah, because... Yeah. There's also this massive, um, you know, as well as this digital divide, there's also this huge um, information or, or conversation divide that mm. we're living through in this mm. time as well. I mm. mean, the OK Boomer comment from Chloe Swarbrick, yeah. and then all of this hurt and misunderstanding from the boomers because they're actually not um, internet or meme literate enough yes. to know what that actually means. Yeah. I mean, I find that really troubling. And, you know, here are these people who are just watching the six o'clock news and reading the paper versus anyone under kind of 50, 45, 50 now who just has access to all of this information on Instagram mm. or Twitter, mm. incredibly tuned in and literate mm. in so many ways that this majority of the, of the population actually aren't. Mm. And so that's something that I spend quite a bit of time thinking about as a, you know, in the terms of the work that I well, do. I, yeah, I reckon mm. it's almost more simple and blunt than that. I yeah. reckon there's a generation of people that are becoming intellectually superior and they're fighting against a generation of people that are financially more secure. Yes, absolutely. And absolutely. And I know that's a massive generalisation. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
because there's some dumb broke old people yes, and, yes, and there's yes. some and there's some rich onto it young people. Yeah. So you know, and rah, 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 and all shades in between. But that's kind of yeah. where it's at. Yeah. And and also that you know I was thinking about it that when you were talking about um, your act speed date. Yes. Um, which which would be a good name for a band if Mighty Mighty was still going. <laughs> <laughs> um, I can ma- imagine we might go and see them play. Um, the your X speed date, like that idea of basically, I don't really want a discussion. I just want to tell you what I think. Exactly. You know, which is what you were saying. Like you, you counter it by going, "Well, okay, let's." You know, what's your reason? Let's for have this? a conversation. But, but yeah. people don't want that. They want to be heard, mm. and they don't really want to be challenged on it. Mm. And that's but that's also because of social media. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because you've got this... I mean, I used to watch a lot, um, like, Trade Me forums, because it, that <laughs> used to be the place, like, mm. as a marketer, or, mm. you know, trying to promote something, and um, I had a kind of real, you know, pre-what we do in the shadows, because you actually used Trade Me as a platform and as a, as a distributor very effectively at that time, but... Um, I used to hang out in Trade Me forums trying to drop things to stimulate conversation. And it was like all of those people then migrated across to Stuff Comments. Mm. And so Stuff Comments became this revolting mm. hellhole. And now... Oh, yeah, I know about all... Stuff Comments. Yeah. I was, I was uh, <laughs> casually employed by them when they hit their heyday, the Stuff Comments. Oh, God. But yeah. now all those I'm a survivor people... of Stuff Comments. Oh, you're well done. <laughs> so now all those people have migrated onto Facebook. Mm. And in these Facebook kind of back and forth where now everybody has this sense that they have this right to be heard mm. and that no discussion actually is possible it's basically just you know everyone's a broadcaster mm. in that medium or in this realm that we're now in so it actually does make it very difficult for anyone to do active listening and actually to be able to um to to you know change their opinion admit that you're wrong mm. or that you know there's this dogged belief in being right which but is don't you want to learn hey yeah, you know, like, exactly. don't you want to don't you want to you know i've got i've got some pretty um, ridiculous ideas about things because mm. i'm a human being some yes. of my ideas about things are fucking bonkers but they're not hardwired or if yes. or if they are through my upbringing i'm i'm looking to see them I'm open to them being changed. And yeah. I also think that it's also the fact that we, like you said, with this generation, mm. but I guess there's the ones with the, the money, but um, then there's the one beneath us who have all had this ability to broadcast and mm. think that their ideas are fixed and formed and legitimate at age 18, 19, 20. Mm. Whereas we have, with the benefit of hindsight, the ability to understand that those ideas you have at that age are often you know kind of need testing mm, mm. <laughs> and um that you only test those ideas through discussion but you cannot replicate that in a fucking reply you know kind of format mm, mm. i mean I, i'm just astonished at some of the comments that i've mainly have been seeing because i'm a sucker for trying to get the kind of read of the room um, in terms of, you know, News Hub comments or mm. RNZ peace comments on, on the political landscape. And it is so brutal, so vicious mm. now, just mm. just atrocious. And particularly in groups like um, location groups, mm. you know, like the um, Vic Deals or, I mean, that's, that's not such a good example, but, um, one I'm in of like the Takaka buy-sell swap, you know, it's mm. just, it's just a pit of, mm. 
like ah, oh, so aggressive. Yeah, so yeah, aggressive. Yeah. Well, I, I guess what I was wondering too when I was asking you about blowback mm. for things you post or, or whatever your you know your company yeah. your page is yeah the the problem with all of this is in a way even though you're effectively communicating part of your message through that yes it is it is all just sort of. Um, drift net fishing and ephemera like that's not your main mm, mm, mm. that's just a way to disseminate part of your message yeah it, it isn't exactly. really what you're there to do no. and then you know does it take up an inordinate amount of energy grappling with that yeah only when know? it blows up yeah yeah, yeah. but um yeah i mean it's an interesting it's an interesting example that hopefully doesn't get me in trouble but um with um there was a there was a list of um women who'd been killed by men it was around the grace Mullane time mm -hmm. and it was a, a list of women that had been killed by men that was um shared by the ace lady network because so it was kind of backing up this idea that mm. um women aren't killing women you yeah, know that yeah, men yeah. are actually killing men and men are killing men and men are killing women yeah, yeah, and that's men, right. are killing men are doing the killing exactly yeah, yeah. and so it was a counterpoint to the not all men argument yeah, yeah. so anyway I posted this up and it was it went up on like a Saturday or something and I was um, trying not to be on the page for the Sunday mm, mm. and then literally got some texts from people that I knew who were like you need to take that fucking piece down wow. and I was just like what are you talking yeah. about what this is and I could see that that list had been um, had been shared multiple times mm. by a whole lot of particularly younger women who were obviously using it as a counterpoint mm. to the not all men argument mm. so I was like this is very effective but it turned out that that list had been compiled by some TERFs so they had purposefully mm. let, left off the trans woman who had been killed by men Right. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, my argument was like, well, this list is still very effective. Can you please add the names yeah. of the trans women who've been killed by men? Because yeah. it was like in the last ten years or something. Yeah, yeah. Like, please, just do that. Yeah. Oh, but you're supporting. Yeah, sad sadly, this is a living document. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. you're support. You know, like, would you be supporting You've the excluded. Nazis yeah. if they had? Uh, you know, mm. like it just it just got so ridiculous that in the end I just deleted it, and I was just mm. like. You know, it's this, so frustrating. It's that, really yeah. frustrating because it's not being able to see a kind mm. of larger picture and and the use that um, you know because I'm always watching how the network is operating, mm. I guess, and what's being useful <laughs> to people who are um, yeah communicating with their young twenty five year old boyfriend who's like yeah, oh, yeah. all these you know. Blah, blah, blah. I mean, even we had something about um, I posted something a couple of days ago and. This was over the weekend again. It was a, it was a really nicely written personal account of um, a woman protecting her three-year-old daughter mm. from a granddad who was coming and tickling and um, you know kind of in a way that she didn't want. And so it was saying no to the grandfather mm. essentially in in a very awkward family mm. dynamic mm. and then the grandmother being very pissed off with the daughter for yeah. making the granddad feel uncomfortable yeah and it, it, basically the piece was just like if i don't step up for my daughter if she doesn't see me stepping up and saying no then she's going to feel like she can be you know touched in any way that mm. she might not like in any way even mm. if it is just a tickle or a cuddle or whatever so it's like standing this ground and i got some blowback from that because i said share this, you know, something like share this, particularly with boomer-aged women. 
And so then all these <laughs> boomer-aged women were like, I don't want to be put together in a stereotype. You know, mm. people have been lumping women together forever. I'm like, it literally means your age group. Yeah. And it literally is because you're statistically more likely to be grandmothers. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that, this is, you have actually been targeted for a reason. Yes, yes. And, and then this whole idea that... Um, that people are so incensed because they think that these issues are literally about them individually. That's mm. the thing that I find really difficult in this space. And yeah. My opinion matters, but also my personal feelings. I mean, yeah. yes, that's of course that's important. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's an inability. It's kind of like black lives matter, all white lives matter. It's yeah, like yeah. all boomer lives matter. It's like you're literally just being lumped. She was like, I don't I, I, appreciate this marketing term it's like it's not a marketing term it's a generational yeah. category yeah <laughs> it's a demographer's term exactly <laughs> because, exactly because that's what it is <laughs> because you were born out of an actual baby boom yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. exactly which is what it was called which at the is, time and yeah, what it still so is I, referred to <laughs> i kind of pasted this yeah, kind yeah. of wikipedia yeah, yeah, you know yeah. kind of explanation yeah. Yeah, yeah it's like what what do you need yeah um, so yeah, I mean, it, it definitely. <laughs> I mean, my my example that's in my mind is yeah. is so much more trivial than that. But I'm, I feel like, in a way, it's a funny little, well, a sad homily of the internet. Like mm. um, a couple of weeks ago, I was on a school trip and my phone just started ping, 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 and I was getting all these replies on Twitter oh. from people uh, or getting tagged in all these tweets. <laughs> from people angry that I had dismissed a couple of Lana Del Rey albums in oh, 2012 sure. and 15. And so that How all... How dare you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they were, like, you know, outraged, and they were starting this whole, like, sharing pictures of me, look at him, rah, 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 we need to mass report this guy, hate crimes against women, rah, 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 all this sort of stuff. So what was interesting was this sort of just came out of nowhere to me mm, like people mm. just obviously found old reviews and I had not liked her stuff but funnily enough I was at the time loving the new album and which is six months old or whatever mm. and and really enjoying this poetry album that she's put out that's, sure. that's brand new so I was kind of going oh I think I finally found a way in with this artist and then I checked my phone and go whoa okay that's pretty funny so then <laughs> I wrote a review of the new album saying how much I liked it and addressing the fact that, hey, look, you know, I, I don't like all of this stuff. I didn't like these albums and I'm fine with that. Whatever language I used may not fly today, but mm. the sentiment of how I did not connect with the album still stands. And then I reviewed the Poetry Spoken Word album and I shared that. Just yesterday I shared that on Facebook and a person wrote um, underneath pity she's a racist who glamorizes violence and i thought oh i might just have a little stir here so i hit reply and i wrote that must be why i like her and and then i was like no 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 i can't do that but so i deleted <laughs> i deleted that before i, had, but I just had this, yeah. i just had this little and then mm. i was like no mm. you know you can't mm. you can't be angry with people trolling you if you if you do that back but yes, i yes. kind of wanted to point out the absurdity of these things are not connected and then I sat on it for a bit, and then I was like, no, I am going to reply to that person. So I wrote back and said um, something like, that's no good. Funnily enough, I didn't get any of that from her poetry album that I listened to. Mm. Uh, I, mm. It's not decipherable from that. Yeah. And then she wrote back and said, it's in her tweets. And I said, 
yeah, um, they don't seem relevant to me when discussing a spoken word album she's made. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, you know, how funny it was that, like, I was this... Um, I'm sounding a bit like Brittany's Danielle's podcast here, isn't it? I just realised. But, you know, I was this... <laughs> I was this... At least I'm saying it to the right person. <laughs> that, but I was this victim of Lana Del Rey hatred and then I was this victim of Lana Del Rey appreciation. It just... To me, it just summed up this idea that you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. Someone is going to find you on the internet and disagree with you and they're mm. going di- to disagree with you only on their terms. Exactly. And that's sort of what I want to get at with yeah, that. Yeah, like, and Ange and I were actually having a talk about that yesterday because... Um, there's a really interesting podcast, The Philosopher's Zone, mm. and it was basically about the inability in this internet age for for think or for thought to evolve. So that's around mm. again. If you're a twenty year old, mm. um, you know, you, you, with the hindsight of a twenty more years, you can actually understand how you've developed and thought. But now, because everybody can cherry pick through photos, tweets, things, yes. and hold them up as this kind of example of mm. someone's actual stance now mm. in the here and now that's mm. what's so dangerous because it's kind of like you're held to account for everything and yes of course there are situations and things where that those things do need to be um changed you know we've seen that with certain new zealand yeah. artists and yeah, things like yeah. that but it's like um in terms of standpoints and and from a philosophical perspective it's not allowing the evolution of thought yeah so that's yeah. that's terrifying yeah. yeah it's terrifying that's what I say I just feel like as trivial as it is that yeah. little Lana Del Rey um, course, example is, is a, a fascinating current example yeah. of this this rage against something that's in the realm of the internet a long time ago I mean yeah. an album from 2012 who cares yes. and then this instant reaction to and you know I could assume that this person putting this comment probably hasn't listened to the work mm, mm, given mm. that it's brand new and, yeah. and there is no way of getting it really unless you pay for it but they've got this fixed view but they've got this fixed view that they want to apply to that and yeah. it's not it's not relevant and then here we have all these um, politicians now you know where everything is fodder and someone's mm. going through all of your tweets and mm. I mean I actually despair I've got a niece and nephew you know they're 10 and 11 and um, what is it doing to children's brains to be watching TikTok videos of, you know, eight yeah. seconds in yeah. terms of critical thinking. Oh, totally. And um, ability to, I mean, I actually even find myself, if I actually sit down to watch a film these days, I'm like, oh, 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 okay. I'm not, you know, like I'm so mm. used to that kind of social media landscape where it's like, and in particular from a marketing perspective, it has to grab you at one second, three second, 10 seconds, but 20 also, seconds. And, and you're yeah. catching up on your phone. On exactly. Someone, exactly. Someone shared a thing the other day about, um, an article about some movie that's supposed to be the scariest film on Netflix, and I can't remember what it's called, but I looked it up, mm. and um, it's um, Scandinavian or something, it's a subtitled film anyway, and this person wrote, you know, is this really the scariest film? Is this, you know, I find it hard to believe this is yeah. the scariest film, yeah. and I sort of wrote underneath, well, it's got subtitles, so I guess we'll never know, you know, because, <laughs> you know, that's sort of the world we live in, like, who's going to bother to really sit down with that in mm. in a Netflix frame of mind and really give it the attention it deserves. Mm. You know, maybe the reason it was scary is because some detached person tweeting about something else happened to look up and almost context-free saw one horrifying Horrible frame. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, that's just oh, as likely. Yeah. No. <laughs> oh. 
Yeah, no. So with all that in mind, yes. um, I wondered if, what, I, what a question I wanted to ask you before, and, and mm. everything we've just been discussing is super relevant to this now. Mm. Um, do you run into situations of finding it um, hard to work with certain people because of things they've done or having to make decisions that you shouldn't align yourself or, you know, mm. or getting blowback for working with particular people because of something they've done in the past. And obviously That's you don't have to name names, but yeah. I'm sure it's something you're super across and mm. conscious of. Maybe the level where it's so well managed it hasn't happened and you're going to give me a supremely boring answer. <laughs> well, the... Um, uh, the I've actually been very lucky because I have never had to be in a position of taking work that I couldn't completely mm. align myself mm. with. Um, mm. That's just something that's been very clear mm. with me about my approach to life, I guess. Mm. And it's that thing of being in the, in the right flow. Um, the one thing I got um, cancelled from, uh, <laughs> which is interesting, is um, being on the panel. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, right. Because What, of, for turning up and doing it, you mean? No. Or just ne- a particular... They were talking to me about being on it. Yeah. Um, and interested to have me on. Yeah. Um, but because of the political work that ah, Double yeah, Denim yeah, had yeah, done, yeah, right, because yeah. of that thing that happened with Tracy ah, Bridges being yeah. called out by National, yeah, okay. um, yeah, someone who's considered to be on the left mm. or you know to have to have worked in that space mm. um wasn't wasn't appropriate i mean it'd be interesting to see if that still yet they'll stands. have yet they have david cormack on there all the time oh and um michelle bogue, and yeah. michelle bogue was a mainstay and um what's his name um uh, peter dunn oh yeah is on there all the time yeah i love the panel no, no. i'd love to be on the panel but oh, I don't think, i've done the oh man i've aced the fuck out of the pre-panel i've been up there and done that and it's good fun but yeah. um yeah, yeah yeah i'm not gonna put my i'm not i'm not gonna beg them to ask me nor am i gonna sit and expect to be asked but no. i just i'd love to do it because yeah. I've, I've actually been there enough when it's happened mm, it'd mm. be cool yeah and i think um because i'm lucky enough to be someone who travels a lot around the country yeah. like i've got a really good mainland take christchurch nelson you know kind yeah, of yeah. um but also wellington auckland yeah, and I, yeah. so my I, I, my ear is to the ground about a lot of things I've Big always, time. i thought i'd be quite useful on the panel but i mean maybe it's just about time passing and yeah yeah the longer yeah. it goes i mean if the if the government changes, you know, then they might be more open to having me on. I don't know. Maybe they're just worried that you and Wallace are going to reminisce about the gathering too much. Yeah. <laughs> it is a tight, even though it's an hour, it is a tight format and that might um, <laughs> blow things up a bit. Yeah, I did like um, one of the things that the spin off did. They had a, a recent political poll. It was about um, political knowledge. Did you mm, do that? I'm, Toby Manhide had written it and it was mm. like, I got to a certain point and it was like, congrats, you've got as much knowledge as the people who are regularly appear on the panel with like <laughs> clueless. <You're> like, <laughs> Man. Man. But I think they're definitely making more of an effort to have, you know, kind of a wider mm. range of voices. Yeah, definitely. definitely. Definitely need more yeah. Maori voices. And, yeah. And, um, you know, younger woman, I think, would be but important. But it's, it's tricky. I mean, I remember doing the pre-panel and uh, at the start of this year, yeah. around the time, um, well, Kobe Bryant died, mm-hmm. and so we had to talk about that. And I can't remember what else, but I did it three days in a row. Oh, and uh, I did, did it three days in a row, and I, and I went on and talked about the Kobe Bryant thing. Mm. And um, the, the Grammy Awards and something else. And... 
I can't remember exactly what the, the, the topic was, but basically, essentially, I had to go on and talk about Kobe and the arguments that were coming up about how problematic he was sure. because of the rape charge. Sure. And I ended up just saying, you know, as usual, RNZ's got a white man to come on and talk about this, you know, because it's like, hang on, this is a, a black hero. Yeah. Because that's yeah. absolutely what he was. Yeah. A hero to many black people who, for his phenomenal mm. uh, athletic prowess, mm, mm. and um, and then it's a, 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 really it's a female issue. It's a, yeah. a, you know, in terms of, certainly they were the voices arguing. What kind of response did you get to that? Well, did I, you get I, slapped on the may, head? Maybe that's why, no I didn't, but maybe that's why, <laughs> maybe that's why I haven't been allowed um, back to do that, perhaps, oh. I don't know, but I thought it was a good thing to say, because it yeah. was really just addressing... Yeah. myself as the elephant in the room basically yeah. or whatever like you know absolutely absolutely because it's like yes you can have an opinion on it and mm. especially like you're just presenting the information essentially as a this is interesting this has happened and this has been the reaction mm. but at the same time it's like the optics are a little wonky in yeah. this day and age you know and it's so, so so long as you're aware of that it's interesting one of the things that we did um during lockdown it was just after lockdown actually it was when we went to level three um the for the Ace Lady Network, I was Angela and I were just both kind of despairing because of all these hot takes from mm. all these media commentators that were all men mm. around this kind of returning to normal. What's the new normal look like? And we've seen how women are completely um, overrepresented in terms of numbers of people who've lost their jobs. And um, so we pulled together. 10 speakers for an online kind of webinar um, conference type mm. thing and for me it was just such a good decent reminder of making sure you have diverse voices um, included in the mix and and work very hard to do that with with um, you know obviously all our campaigns and, and what we do but we had Tamantha Paul and um, you know the Wellington City Councillor uh, Tina mm. Nata, who's an incredible um, advocate for indigenous rights in, in this country, and then also, um, I can never see, uh, Kiane um, Kerr, who's the head of um, Nuku Women, mm. and all three of them just blew my mind and actually made me kind of, you know, just reminded me again, I mean, I know intellectually what it means to be a treaty partner, but just kind of, it was the first time I actually think I understood it viscerally yeah, yeah. to the core of my yeah, being. And yeah. um, and that was actually before all the Black Lives Matter um, mm. stuff had started flaring up in the States. And just this real understanding that we don't need to go back to, you know, this, this new normal. All of this new, this knowledge actually exists on the, <laughs> on the outskirts. Mm. It's all just been sidelined by dominant Western culture. Mm. That knowledge is there. And yes, it needs a bit of a kind of reframing to be appropriate for contemporary audiences. But mm. that message was so strong and so clear. And all of those um, talks are all online. People can actually look at them on the Ace Lady Network um, website but it just for me kind of as a Pākehā New Zealander and there was actually a really brilliant you know the Emma Espiner's podcast mm, mm. on um, being a yeah. Māori um, medical doctor I was listening to that when driving on Sunday night and that is just incredible yeah yeah I actually yeah. didn't know that Māori meant ordinary 
And so we are not ordinary mm, and mm. actually bringing things into a, um, you know, Pākehā actually having to become ordinary in a, for a Māori world. I was like, far out. I mean, we're actually living in an incredible time in this country where there has been support and, and then also just these incredible leaders coming through who are making sure that... Um, you know, our indigenous culture is so strong that actually then it can be shared with the rest of the world. I mean, that mm. that to me is one of the most interesting things going on, you know, mm. now mm. For sure. as well. So, yeah. yeah, it was just such a good reminder. I can't remember. I don't know why I got onto that. <laughs> oh, no, because it's in the panel, yeah, getting yeah, another yeah, white yeah. man. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and it was like, it's not actually hard to find these voices. These yeah, women, yeah. Are, these people are out there. Yeah. They're yeah. all over the place. And we also had um, the lovely Grace Stratton talking about accessibility because she's in a wheelchair. And it's just like, we are so blind. The unconscious bias is yeah, so totally. strong. Yeah, yeah, but it's, but it's great that you actually said that live on national radio to, to be, you know, Yeah, yeah, that. yeah. I mean, because I'm not going to always recognise my position of power and privilege mm. and bias. But if I am, then I'm going to say it. You know, but the like, key that's what I'm learning to to yeah, do yeah. without being like um, a, oh, I don't know what the word is, but basically without being some sort of sanctimonious shill for it either too. Like it's just... Of course, but also then um, bigger than that, it's not being threatened by it no. and, and not not being kind of angry or aggressive or put out yeah, or yeah, yeah. running off to support the act party. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah totally. <laughs> kind of no, with it... your Jordan Peterson <laughs> MAGA cap on. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um well, what, I don't know. I don't know what else we need to talk about, but we could keep going for ages. <laughs> I know. Um, I'm really pleased you scheduled your stroke for another day, <laughs> so that you could be <laughs> could be here. Um, is there anything you want to bring up that we haven't got to? Oh. Um, what's the future for Double Denim Hold and the? Uh, you'll be looking forward to getting through the election, like anyone in New Zealand yeah, is really at yeah. the moment. Yeah, and it is interesting because. We always forget that everything gets quite slow in yeah. Wellington, August, mm. September. There's this kind of treading Hold water, yeah, yeah, treading yeah. water feeling, mm. and um, yeah, kind of getting contracts signed is a little bit, you know, it just kind of stretches over this period. Um, mm. Very happy to not be working in the election. Mm. Um, and yeah, I mean, like any small business at the moment, we are just literally Finding your way and yeah, keeping afloat. Yeah. yeah, keeping afloat. And it is interesting because we do have this whole chunk of our business, which is around gender intelligence and mm. um, diversity and inclusion. And that's you know kind of one of the first things that becomes a nice to have in this kind of environment. So yes. it's a bit a bit tricky. Yes. But also, um, but at the same time, that problem's not. It's getting, not going getting, away. Getting fixed anytime no, soon. So no, uh, it's not. If you can keep addressing it, yeah. that's fantastic. Right? And we yeah, do yeah. know that sustainability as a concept took, you know, a good seven years to bed in. So mm. in some ways we are, because we, we started talking about this two years ago, we do feel like we've been a bit ahead of the curve. Yeah, yeah. And that's always a hard place to be. But, but actually we're taking heart from the number of other small businesses we can see that are starting mm. up that are pushing that same barrow. So... Mm. Um, that's actually that's actually quite quite good. Um, yeah, I'm just trying to think what else we're 
working on. I'm really excited actually to be working with Big Street Bikers, Cleve Cameron's oh, yeah. company. Yeah. yeah, so we just did the launch for them down in Christchurch and they are coming to Wellington. So mm. this whole e-bike network, which is going to be rolled out across the whole country, mm. which is actually kind of tackling the carbon economy in a, in a very real way. And mm. super interesting actually to hear James Shaw talking about that this morning. I mean, one of the biggest problems with the Greens really is they're always so far ahead of the curve. When the public catch up, they're kind of another 20 years yeah. ahead. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, and they're so bored of those things that are just starting to, mm. you know, like something like plastic bags. They're like, my God, we've been talking about I've, this for 20 years. Yeah, I've only just started listening. I mean, I know there isn't that many episodes of it, but mm. James's podcast is pretty cool. Yeah, I have People like Brian Eno and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And the, the donor economy yeah. woman. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, another podcast I've been really... I mean, because I, cause I um, live alone, and especially over... I was in a solo bubble over... Yeah, right. Over... Um, Lockdown. Over lockdown, and I'm such an avid podcast, podcast yeah, listener. So it's, that was um, peak, <laughs> yeah. peak listening hours, like yeah, and kind was, of the dream, and yeah. if, if you forgot about everything else. Yeah, and then and started listening to like three, four hour ones, wow. like The Portal and yeah, stuff. It was yeah. just incredible. So what are your top picks for, mm. for podcasts for people? Well, what do you I've, actually, like? I've actually been really enjoying um, the mix that come from Small Giants, the Dumbo Feather mm-hmm. crew from mm-hmm. Tasmania um, so it's kind of the you know the experimental thinking people of Australia so that's actually been a very good source of inspiration for mm, me mm. Um, and yeah I, I recommend all of those and they've got a really interesting one on um, money and kind of economies that's all related to Jungian philosophy which is actually wow yeah, yeah. it's really really interesting yeah, there's yeah. like three Jungian philosophers and then um the main Dumbo Feather woman you know talking wow. about it and it's really interesting in terms of that circle around back to a magazine mm. here they still are producing Dumbo Feather mm. um with a very uh, good thematic kind of um curation and then they have this really good podcast offering to match. Um, and they actually did very well during that lockdown mm. period. They really ramped it up and they're also um, carrying it on. I mean, it's mm. quite esoteric. It's mm-hmm. pretty... Um, That's the thing, right? The, the good magazines, the really yeah. good magazines that still exist through various fortunes, I, sp- uh, you know, I suppose, but... Um, there's some really great magazines still happening. Like, it's, you know, why you'd want to set one up is beyond me now. But if you've managed to, you know, like, things like New Philosopher and stuff like that are yes, great yes. magazines, good quality yes. production when they're printing and yeah. and a good online portal. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm just trying to think of the other um, podcasts I've been inhaling. Oh, I've been getting quite into that whole... Back episodes of Brett Easton. <laughs> They're literally still on my phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, You're making me think I might do that now. <laughs> well, there was... Um, who's the woman from the Breakfast Club? Uh, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. that was a really was interesting really conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that, was, that was... Yeah, um, I do remember that. Yeah, that was an outstanding one. And then he kind of did this big apology. Well, you know, he... Because she's had a fascinating... Um, post-fame yeah, career she, if you like yeah you she know? has she has and then he kind of b- backtracked on it yeah he mm. he um oh i need to um i need to look at my uh my phone just to remember i mean there's just so many um i have been listening to a really good one called um being well which is a father-son 
um, he's, a, he's a neuro, his dad's a neuroscientist, and um, then the son asks him lots of questions, wow, kind of just around cool. yeah. brain relationship, mm. kind of being a being a human in the mm. world. Actually, mm. very very interesting. Rick Hansen, Dr. Rick Hansen, being well, that's a good one. And um, were you ever a Mark Maron listener, or I was. I he's was. really he's interesting at the moment because do you know yeah. what's happened with with him? No. His girlfriend, um, Lynn Shelton, the filmmaker, yeah. she died during oh, lockdown. Oh, did she? She died not of COVID, but just of a Ooh, a rare thing, and he's and he's just sort of fully embracing the journey of grief amazing through his podcasts amazing yeah it's pretty it's pretty incredible actually wow and this is so like he's still doing good quality uh, I mean conversations yeah overall anyway cool but um, if anyone had lapsed out of listening to him, okay, that's which a good I know reminder. a lot of people do, because yeah, yeah. it is a bit samey or whatever, mm. or people find a bit of frustration with him, mm. uh, it's pretty interesting hearing a person right. be that vulnerable. Cool, cool. That, oh, that, that's good. That publicly. That's good to know. Yeah, because yeah, I, yeah, I got a bit like, yeah. uh, I mean, because yeah, I, I can't I think everyone gets to, a bit sick of yeah, um, him for a while. Yeah. Well, you do with anyone, right? Like, if, I, I, I have my favourite podcasts and then I give them a break for a while. Yeah. And then I go back to them and I'm fully enthused. I can't to listen to any, like, This American Life or yeah. Radio Lab or anything like that anymore. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. The Esther Perel um, ones are amazing. She's got a relationship podcast and then a work relationship podcast. Um, where Shall We Begin? Where mm. these people just have their ther- counselling therapy sessions wow. with her, but mm. anonymously. And mm. it basically covers any kind of relationship yeah. dynamic. Wow. And she talks through it so it's basically like a free counseling session it's mm. really incredible wow. Esther Perel um and the the thing I've been getting into in terms of that deep adaptation and you know kind of what's next uh, we've been talking a lot about you know kind of ending these structures and how do you mm. you know take on the patriarchy and what's happening with capitalism but that whole planet b movement there's a guy called jim rutt and he um has these very long engaged um conversations with people and actually richard bartlett who is a wellingtonian who was part of that whole inspiral Mm. crowd he had a really good um conversation with him recently around consensus decision making and actually how do you bring communities together and what does that look like um you know, in the future. Mm. One other one that is freaking hilarious, it's like a bit like the Mark Maron stuff, but it's totally crazy, is one called Soberish. Have you ever heard of no, Soberish? No, It's this comedian, Jessa Reed, I think her name is, and she literally had this kind of experience of being, um, I guess she had some kind of spiritual awakening, but where she says that she was uh, taken by aliens. Mm. And she, there's this whole movement around her as this kind of wow. stand-up comedian. Yeah. But she goes through all of these relationship breakups in real time, but makes herself incredibly vulnerable, but in a very eloquent way. Yeah, it's ah. quite bizarre, very wow. bizarre, like very woo-woo out, mm. out there. Mm. Um, but oh, that sounds fun. I mean, I guess uh, like anyone at the moment, I'm just trying to kind of um, speculate and imagine, you know, what's what's coming, what's yeah, happening yeah. with yeah. you know warming temperature rises, the Arctic being on fire, um, yeah, changing Australian bushfires, <laughs> yeah, changing working structures in general yes, because yes. because of many of those things exactly, and other things, but, exactly, yeah, yeah, because if work's different for you and and I, I guess particularly for you with what you do but but 
for anyone, if work's different for you, then everyone you work with is impacted in different ways too. So it's about yeah. understanding that. Yeah, too. it is, it is. And um, yeah, we got through the period of just Zoom meetings. Yes. Which had their novelty and then had their like, then and had their practicality and then had their frustration in, mm. in varying degrees. But then it's like, what's behind that? Like, yeah, and what's the longevity of? Yeah, exactly. We've got clients in um, Australia, and you know they just—they're working in Melbourne. They're just absolutely shattered, yeah. completely shell shocked, yeah. so over it. Yeah. They just look like they're all aging. Yeah, know, well, the PTSD, our eyes the PTSD toll of lockdown is yeah. really insurmountable. Yeah, and I think even for New Zealand, if we don't have any touchwood mm. other outbreak. sort of outbreak. Mm. Mm. There's a PTSD aspect to the lockdown we had yeah. for a lot of people that they that they possibly don't even know yet. Yeah, yeah, and um, I felt so privileged and lucky at that time, just mm. being in a solo bubble in a, a friend's Airbnb in a next to the sea. I was just like, with your podcasts, yeah, with my podcast. That sounds like yeah. That sounds like the retreat that mm. the person who told you you were gonna <laughs> you were gonna have a come up and. <laughs> Um, probably ordered probably for you. <laughs> yeah, 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 wow. yeah. And it is interesting because I definitely think that the people that I know that had been um, reassessing, you know, different areas of their yeah. life were the ones who handled lockdown the best. Or also people yeah. who've been through some quite traumatic experiences and yeah. done a lot of, you know, self work were actually okay. Whereas a lot of people were thrown completely off kilter because they oh, haven't yeah. actually had to deal with too much change before. No, that's right. And then it's yeah. hitting them in the face. And yeah. It's react, react, react. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, it's interesting. interesting. It's interesting, but yeah, no, Jim Rutt, I'll send, oh, I need to look at my phone to remember all my podcasts. Yeah, yeah, you'll need to send me a couple of these. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll listen back and, and write them down, but yeah, no, yeah. I've, I've just, just every sort of couple of months I do a bit of a rejig and go, mm. what am I, what do I, you know, I've got my favourites and I've got my regulars and I've, I've kept listening to Marin through yeah. frustrations because yeah. it's just become hardwired and it's an interesting thing yeah. to do but it's, he's really in an interesting space now it's it's really that's, quite that cool that sounds great yeah. yeah i um i mean i did try and listen to joe rogan someone yeah and i, I just couldn't that. i no. just couldn't i was just like oh, no. oh i've been working out at this blah, every blah, time blah, i blah. every time i have a guy listening to him i yeah. just i just end up posting that clip of the kangaroo banging on the window in australia i just think that as a joe rogan fan listening to a joe rogan podcast just that feral kangaroo going let me in let me in and every every time i've had a go i post that and then some joe rogan fan yells at me you don't know what you're talking about kind of like interesting yeah yeah one of the i tried on a couple of people that i you know i actually tried on someone i don't really like yeah and 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 am not that interested in and I tried on someone who I really like and am really interested in who I figured would ace an interview with anyone you know I tried both like yeah. you say both both ends of the spectrum basically yeah it is interesting actually that just reminded me of someone who I never thought that I would enjoy listening to their podcast but actually but now it's gone behind a paywall is um Russell Brand oh yeah I haven't done that yeah, yeah. I, lots of people say that yeah I was really biased yeah. against him I was just like oh fucking get in the seat you yeah know, like, I'm always, really not interested I've always felt a bit like that about yeah him. but he's gone through this yes. massive process similar probably to what Mark Maron yeah, is yeah. voicing but 
the conversations that he's having with people are incredibly interesting. Yeah, and there's a David Lynch one, there's Lena Dunham. Mm. He's genuinely interested mm. and um, having some quite incredible epiphanies and really just trying to figure out really what comes next. And, you know, mm. if capitalism does fall down and we go from this kind of extractive, competitive model of me, me, me to we... Mm. What does that look like? Yeah, so um, it is quite it is quite useful. Yeah, mm. it's yeah. interesting that I I, I quite like um, Alec Baldwin's podcast, and oh, yeah. I imagine I wouldn't like him as yeah, a human right. being at all. I mean, he's done some okay acting. Yes, but what I like about his podcast, or what I liked about it, was. Yeah, he's a he's a quite a quite a um, fierce cultural intellect, which mm. isn't isn't necessarily that surprising. Yeah, but yeah. he's really across, you know, not just the acting. He's a big sort of donor and supporter of classical music, so right. he has you know pe- people on from that world and and really is knowledgeable. Wow. And um, then he's like a classic rock fan, so he yeah. talks to people like you know the lead singer of the Who or whatever, okay. and, he, and, and he can get a good conversation out of people. But just recently, he had. Um, Woody Allen on via Zoom and right. and um oh. and he because he's been in some of his movies so yeah. he started with this big preamble defending him right which was really awkward I thought wow. and 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 um and unnecessary and you know I I've always outed myself as a fan of Woody a lot of Woody yeah. Allen's creative work yeah but I think like going into bat for him and saying you know basically this case that no one's really been able to get fully get their head around as yeah. of yet yeah basically he. He sort of went, he's innocent, mm. Mia Farrow's crazy, yeah. enjoy our conversation. And it became very hard to do <laughs> to wow. do that as a result. So I've sort of gone off him from that. But there's some good stuff in his, in his for a mainstream podcast, because it's, you know, um, one of the American ah, radio stations. Interesting. That reminds me, one of my go-to weekly listens is um, Love It or Leave It. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That partner of Ronan Farrow. Yes, yes. Yeah, and I just, I appreciate that so much, just mm. to be able to have an ability to laugh, you know, um, it will chuckle well, at American politics. You know, it's actually, it's just so smart. And then the other one I was just thinking of is actually Brene Brown's Oh, yeah, one. she's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, that's actually really good. And those, are some of those, like speaking of Ronan Farrow's, yeah. some of those sort of finite series podcasts are great. Like he did the Catch and Kill one on the back of his yeah. book. And that, the podcast I thought yeah. was really good. Oh. I mean, awful, obviously an awful topic, but a necessary yeah. awful topic and some amazing um, insight. From that, you know, in that medium, yes. actually hearing from people like um, Rosanna Arquette, mm, you know, that I need were to directly to affected by the Weinstein thing, yeah, and actually hearing their voices yeah. describe it is amazing. Well, it was so weird because I'd been a fan of John Lovett for ages, yeah. and then actually ended up on like Ronan Farrow because I've always heard of him talk about Ronan, and then ended up right, on Ronan's right. Instagram going, "Oh my God, this is Mia Farrow's son!" You know, like yeah. just ridiculous. And it's amazing how you can do that with Instagram, where you just go down these holes and you can basically scroll through the last five years of someone's life or something. I mean, it's pretty spooky and weird. Totally. (laughs) Ronan Farrow looks like he's been built in a a beautiful lab. eh? Totally. He really does. He he so does. Yeah. Yeah. No, he looks perfect. I guess that's what happens when you're Frank Sinatra's son. That's right. That's right. (laughs) And they, during lockdown because um, on Love It or Leave It they were doing some studio audiences and they couldn't find them or something he was testing his jokes out on Ronan and <laughs> <Bless it. laughs> it was 
it's yeah. just it was so good yeah. yeah yeah no i love how open those guys yeah they they just you know you you feel part of that family and that's the brilliant thing about podcasting really yeah you get this voice mm. and you 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 know and uh, yeah Marin's a good example you get these yeah. voices that that you are not entirely on board with straight away like mm. even the physical voice yeah and then you they become so ingrained yeah that you sort of they just become part of your routine wanting to hear and then you're suddenly you're invested in their mm. in their world in their life yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and and obviously the guests as well have when you they got have, fans like that <laughs> i don't no, no i doubt i i doubt it i know i mean there are some people that i know have listened to most episodes awesome. of this and i think that's incredible awesome. enough so yeah whatever they um get from it on the side is yeah. is a mystery to me and, and should remain that way because mm. I just I do it for myself as much as I do it for awesome. anyone else it's interesting because um, Melody Thomas and mm. Kirsten Johnson they're starting up a little podcasting oh, right. yeah, cool. business from, yeah. from their experience of being in RNZ and, yeah, and doing bang and things like that yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean it's just it's growing so yeah. massively yeah, it's incredible yeah. no it's a, it's another one of those things where I'm not entirely sure how you monetize mm. it on any grand level I know yeah. there are some people that do, but even, you know, e- even the sort of, I mean, a- apart from Joe Rogan and Mark Maron and a couple of others, there, yeah. aren't, there aren't people that, there aren't many people that are doing it as their main, main crust. No, but then it's, again, it's like another, the tyranny of Facebook. It's like here you are curating a whole lot of great yeah, content yeah. for, um, you know, this, this lack of income. And this is this whole problem with this um, content vacuum that we all exist in. Yeah. yeah. I've only just re- recently come to realise that, you know, I've done over 200 of these. and wow. and, and there's some really good people. Yeah. And some really good stories. Yes. And that um, regardless of what anyone thinks of me, and maybe my voice is annoying to them, but they've persevered with it. But, but there's some good stories there from some interesting and important people mm. and that it is, mm. it, it is its own little archive. Mm. And, it and is so it, it is a product. It's yeah. an actual thing that so deserves to be there yeah. and you get to vote with your feet or your yeah. finger or whatever. You know, yeah, you, don't yeah, have to, yeah. you don't have to have it. It's yeah. never going to be like government issued, mm. but it's there for, mm. for people to discover and there is a lot in it. Like yeah, I don't go cool. back and listen to them uh, obviously after they're yeah. edited and up, uh, yeah. but man like there's some cool stuff there i think great great i've got a question for you yeah where's your bathroom i'm so busting